Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode three of Retro Hangover. afternoon we are we are coming to you not live streaming over the internet in the sweet sweet kilobits and megabits of the databases i am chris copleen and i am here today with the sultan of steam the master of modding disaster master of disaster the I master like of modding the grand pooba of podcasting shane koski did you plan this ahead of time i, I really didn't but yes i did <laughs> I wanted to try something a little bit fun. I, I like it. I, I like where this is going. <laughs> so how are you doing today, Shane? Uh, back again. It's uh, been a little long. Uh, about eight. A little off schedule, but we got to it, and we're making sure this gets done. So how have you been doing? Well, I mean, really the important part is that it's, you know, it's not going to be off schedule for people listening. No. We'll still have this up on time. That just means that I've got a whole lot of work to do between now and tomorrow. Been playing my $45 copy of Ocarina of Time 3DS. Isn't it amazing it's gotten week. that high in price? After, yeah. Considering it's still well, for modern tech, it's not, like, outdated. Well, the problem is that it's just not being printed. That's the issue, you know? I mean, that that's kind of the problem that we've been having with a number of Nintendo, particularly, like, 3DS titles, I believe, too, is that, like, it just goes out of print and then it's hard to find, so... Luckily enough, um, I found a copy locally and ended up picking it up. So, been playing through that again. Um, it's pretty much exactly how I remember it, which is to say that it looks nothing like the original actually looks. It looks much better, but it looks how my brain thinks it used to look. Because <laughs> I know if I go back now and pop in my N64 cart and then compare the two, I'm going to be like, oh, oh, <laughs> this is. This is not good. <laughs> I, I kind of had that feeling I was going to bring over Final Fantasy VII for you uh, today. Oh, like yeah. I, I had promised you a while back. Yeah. Then I thought you would be completely alienated by how terrible it looks by modern standards. Uh, not really. I mean, I, for that one, like I know what I'm getting into. So, and I, I will, you know what? I will appreciate the the polygons as they are because it looks awful today. Sure. It yeah. still plays well enough. Yeah. It looks terrible. Well, I mean, that's... I mean, the N64 version of Ocarina still plays just fine, but it also looks like ass. So, you know, there's that. But, uh, but no, really good port. Been having fun playing through that again. Um, it's actually pretty funny because most of it I'm still operating off of pure memory based on how many times I've played that game. But uh, other than that, still working on Alien Isolation. Still enjoying that one. Good. Um, have died many times, <laughs> but uh, but it's been good. Um, and then I got sucked back into Marvel Heroes again. Um, I've been impressed with what they've done with it. It's they've 
been consistently adding to that game and improving it as it came along because before they rebranded it as Marvel Heroes 2015, it was just Marvel Heroes, and that first version was good, um, but it had it was not without its own issues. Uh, but if you wanted a Diablo esque sort of isometric beat 'em up, you really couldn't ask for more than that. And um, once is, it, is it like Marvel Ultimate Alliance? Mm, no. Uh, like I said, it's it's literally like Diablo in a Marvel universe. It's like Diablo two if it, you were playing as Marvel characters. Okay, it's really what it is. Um, so I've been having a lot of fun with it. I got back into it recently, like I said this week, just because I think they put out another update, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go check this out again, and. Then I ended up playing it a lot, <clears throat> so I got uh, my Scarlet Witch to level cap, and then I started playing um, Silver Surfer, or not Silver Surfer, excuse me, Moon Knight. I don't have Silver Surfer. Moon Knight. Yeah, been playing. Hope they make a movie with that guy. He's a cool. Yeah, I love his character. Yeah, I mean, he seems pretty cool. Um, one of the nice things about that is they always have like cycling events in the game so you usually will have something really cool going on all the time like they had a um, Odin's Bounty event going on like right now where different gameplay modes will cycle throughout the day where you'll get like a bonus for playing in that particular mode so you'll get like loot chests that'll drop that wouldn't normally drop you'll get like XP boosts and all that stuff so uh if you like Diablo or any of those sort of like action RPG style things, um, if you haven't already checked it out and you're a fan of Marvel or superheroes in general, I'd, I'd give it a shot. It's free to play, so um, you really don't have anything to lose other than, you know, your time. <laughs> uh, but that's about it for me. What have you been up to this week? Uh, it's you know still, still somewhat of a busy, busy week, getting most of my gaming done on the weekends. Mm. Uh, finished Batman Arkham Asylum wrap that up oh nice how'd you I, like that it, I, you know, I thought the game was really good I liked how dark it was I appreciated the fact that it was this very dark Batman game I think it's darker than any of the movies were I think it's definitely in line with the comics that covered the Arkham Asylum series uh, can't wait to get started by playing Arkham City on my Wii U because I got the armored edition Mm. But after that, I wanted to kind of go back to the RPG route, and so I started playing the Banner Saga. Yeah. And I I kind of liked what I've played so far. It just it has some issues. Uh, the leveling system, I'm not a big fan of. I don't really like it too much. Uh, it, it seems very restricting. It's very it's a very hardcore gaming experience for hardcore strategy game fans. Uh, it borrows a lot more from the Western RPG style, but it has kind of the turn-based isometric strategy gameplay that you'd see a lot in like Final Fantasy Tactics mm. uh, type of gameplay or, or Vandal Hearts or stuff like that. But uh, then Crimson Clover World Ignition went on sale. I have no for, idea what that $2. is. It's a shmup. Okay. I don't know who makes it, but I, I paid $2 for it and I've started playing it and fell absolutely loving that game. It's a bullet hill, bullet hell kind of shmup. Uh, it has a lot of other games that were made by the same company. That's on Steam, so I've been giving my PC game a lot of love. PC, uh, PC, a lot of love lately. As uh, been playing that, I just fell absolutely in love with the shmup. Been playing a ton of it, playing on novice, and I'm still my eyes are pretty much getting melted 
behind the screen <laughs> and just trying to keep track of everything that's going on. But I, I like that kind of stuff. I love my shmups, and it's been it's been good getting into that game. And of course, the obligatory Final Fantasy Record Keeper because that just won't die. And still oh, plugging along yeah. and getting more characters and and uh, you know loved finding out weaknesses and ways to get master well until <clears throat> what was the, the end of it. Vanille, Vanille was this week. Yeah, that one. Yeah, which I could care less about, but I'm a, I'm a character collecting whore, <laughs> so I, I had to make sure that I got Vanille, even though I hate Vanille from Final Fantasy Thirteen. Yeah, no, I I played that enough to to get her because I don't want to miss out on any characters, even though according to what I've seen from the Japanese version of the game, like they tend to do like reissues so if you miss like for example if you missed Sephiroth the first time around which I did yeah then you'll probably get another chance like at an event later but I I, I I'm not the I don't want to wait for that <laughs> so at the very least I've put in enough effort to get her but um I haven't been playing that one as much this week um Future Fight, though. Still playing that a lot. That's the thing. I've noticed that, like, Marvel has been taking over my gaming life. And movie life. Well, yeah. Yeah. But they are, like, going hard on mobile games in particular. Like, there are a ton. Like, I have three installed on my phone right now. I have, like, oh, wow. Marvel Puzzle Quest, Future Fight, and Contest of Champions. I need to look into those. I mean, you were right about Record Keeper, so I may, may, and I, I doubted you then, and now I'm I wouldn't say hooked on it, but mm. I, it's a quality experience, so I might have to look into those. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, ye of little faith! I'm not saying of little faith. No, I did, mm. but anyway, it's good that we cover the bases and the introductions this week, and we have cracked open our beers. So let's talk about what's on tap for the week. Tradition so far, starting off with uh, Nintendo news that we Yay. didn't <laughs> didn't think that we would have, but uh, they just had their uh, Japan Nintendo Direct, and there's a couple things that came out of that. Um, first off, a new Chibi Robo game is slated to be uh, released for 3DS. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're not familiar with what Chibi Robo is. Um, traditionally, it's been uh, sort of like a, a it's a 3D game up until this point, uh, where you play the the titular Chibi Robo, and for the most part, you just perform tasks for your family that owns you. And um, I personally haven't played this game, so that description to me sounds a little bland, but I, I, I'm i sure someone who's played it could probably correct me on that one. Uh, but this this new one that's being released in Japan, fall of 2015, um, is more of a 2D style game, uh, where I guess it's going to be more of a platformer, more in the vein of like new Super Mario Brothers and things like that. So I guess it's a little bit of a departure from the from the traditional Chibi Robo gameplay, uh, I've seen the traditional Chibi Robo type of gameplay. It looks like it could be fun. Uh, definitely one of those weirder, more Eastern style, Japanese style kind of games. Just do random tasks, like you were saying. Mm. Uh, 
I mean, it looks like something that can be fun if you're still into a lot of the uh, more unique experiences that are still available to you. But it's, it wasn't considered to be nearly as polished as some of Nintendo's other efforts. But in terms of what they're putting out in their directs, what Nintendo's been releasing, for the most part, have been pretty good quality. So then moving it over to a t- 2D kind of platformer, I'm interested in what they're going to do with it. But it's going to kind of like be the kind of Tomba experience mm-hmm. that Quest for you to do, but it's still platform-oriented. Yeah, and I mean, for those of you who are rabid Amiibo collectors, you may be happy to find out they're also going to release a Chibi Robo Amiibo. They're going to make an Amiibo for everything from the point on. <laughs> so that's another thing that you can stay up late to try to order in the three seconds that it'll be available. The other One of the other games they uh, mentioned was going to be, what, Treasure Hunter? A Treasure Hunter game from... If I can get... Yeah, so uh, Bandai Namco... Uh, is going to be releasing a free-to-play game uh, exclusive to the Wii U called Project Treasure. Uh, so they released a trailer as part of this Nintendo Direct. Uh, it's a, only really a brief glimpse into what this game is going to be, but so far what we do know is that it appears to be a four-player co-op a third-person action game where your group will be raiding ancient tombs for treasure and perhaps glory. It, it looks fun. It doesn't... Uh, first initial ideas about what was going on when they announced this, from, especially because from Bandai Namco, uh, I thought it was going to be more of like an anime-style kind of game, but it looks like they're going more in the realistic vein of it. Uh, for the graphics for a free-to-play game on this look really, really good, uh, considering it's a free-to-play uh, maybe not so much for, for a finished product, but it's good to see that third parties are still coming out with games for the Wii U. Uh, I, I don't like the fact it's free to play, but there's a lot, I have a lot of reservations on that. Still could be good, still can be worthwhile. We'll I, mean, see how it goes. I mean, it depends. I mean, there are certain things like Warframe, for example, that's mm-hmm. free to play, uh, third person sort of shooter that's somewhat similar to what this looks like, at least in theory. And, that one's that one's been doing well, and it's not like super scummy as far as you know its free to play structure goes. So if it's done well, then you know it's it's not it's not the worst thing in the world. But well, a lot of people forget that Left for Dead was made free, completely free on Steam a while for like mm-hmm. a year ago. Yeah, just just for you to go in there and try it out. So maybe they're doing that in the same kind of vein. It looks like four player at a time trying to get in there and and have fun with that. It could be enjoyable. It's made by the guy from Tekken. It, it one is. One of the guys from Tekken. One of the guys from Tekken, yeah. Katsu, Katsuhiro Harada, the director of Tekken. I'm glad that you attempted to pronounce that and not me. That's I appreciate that. I, I, I got you covered. <laughs> I got you back. Uh, so, yeah, and in addition to that, I guess you could see that you might be able to swap into, like, a first-person mode for that game, too. And I guess characters were seen in the trailer, like, actually carrying bags of loot, so there's a possibility that, you know, it won't be just this, like, nebulous inventory system. Like, you might actually have to physically, like, carry the stuff you find out, which is kind of cool. So, we'll see how that goes. We'll probably be getting more information in the coming months. One of the least surprising announcements coming out of the Nintendo Direct in Japan is a new Monster Hunter game. Now, oh, yay! It's not surprising for a couple of reasons. If you're video game savvy, you'll understand that Monster Hunter is a big success for the 3DS, and being a big success for the 3DS, it's a big success for Capcom. 
And Capcom will do anything for money at this point. <laughs> so, releasing Monster Hunter, next Monster Hunter game is surprising. It's it's still coming out for the 3DS. I would like it if I saw these games on actual consoles, whether it be the PS4 or the Wii U. Personally, I'd prefer it on the Wii U, just because I don't have to pay to go online. Mm-hmm. But I could understand if it was on the PS4. Playing Monster Hunter games, I think, is more of a full-screen experience. But, hey, it's another big game for the 3DS. And is it for the new 3DS, or is it just for the 3DS? Will it be available on both? I believe it should be for both. They haven't specified that it's a new 3DS exclusive, which I'm not really surprised about, because honestly, I... I, I'm not sure that the market penetration of that new 3DS is enough to justify putting a lot of exclusives to it. Like, And that might just be a personal bias, because I certainly haven't bought one, and I don't plan to. But, I mean, I feel like they would be remiss to cut out a really large portion of their user base by not you know, making it available on both you know, 3DSs. So, um, they, as far as I can tell, they haven't specified yet. See, this Monster Hunter thing, I haven't gotten into it. I tried playing the Monster Hunter 4 demo on my 3DS, and I really didn't see what all the hype was. Um, I also took issue with some of the controls, because the way I understood it, the only way you could move the camera was with the touchscreen arrows, but I talked to somebody, actually, after I played that, and they told me, they're like, no, man, you just go in and change the options, and then you can, like, turn the camera, like, with the shoulder buttons. And I'm like, well, shit. If I would have known that, probably would have made this a lot easier, because it was clunky as hell trying to play it with the touchpad. So It probably worked better with a new 3DS, with the, with the C-Dump. Yeah, with the C-Stick, I'm sure that works a lot better, but I, I feel like I should probably give it a second chance. So I might do that, or... I might just wait till this Monster Hunter Cross comes out because from what I can tell they've been iterating on this Monster Hunter series enough to where it improves more and more with each one and also becomes more accessible to people who haven't been like immersed in that type of game which I have not and Monster Hunter is notoriously like impenetrable as far as its actual systems go so so we'll see I was still I still stand by my stances. I'd love it to come to a home console. And I understand what you're saying with the new 3DS. I think the new 3DS is kind of a holdover like the Nintendo DSi was. And they said Nintendo D- the Nintendo DSi was going to have exclusive games because it had a faster processor mm. and yada, yada, yada. And I think it had an extremely low amount of games that were exclusive for it. And I think I've seen the, the new... 3DS kind of going down that route, at least until they get their next handheld announced. Just like the the DSi was a holdover for the 3DS, which came out like within the next year, year and a half. I just I don't see the reason for it. I really don't. Like I don't. I don't think it was necessary. Honestly, that's just my personal opinion. Like I don't know why you would potentially fracture a user base like that just to hold them over until you release something new. Like, just stick with what you have, and... Either that, or if you were gonna do that, sure, I guess, like, update the hardware in the 3DS, but don't make games that are gonna be, like, exclusive to one and not the other. Like, 
splits the base. It splits your base. Well, it does, but I struggle to find like the logic in that from a, even from a business perspective. Like I don't, I don't get it. This is Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. So it's not the first time that I really just don't understand what they're doing. So you're right. Staying with Nintendo, Slightly Mad Studios, whose publisher is Bandai Namco, mm. going back to them as well, has released a game recently for the PS4 and Xbox One, and I believe PC, called Project Cars. It's received pretty good, uh, pretty good reviews uh, from most websites. About a, I would say an eight average. So it's a pretty good game. Uh, it's supposed to look really good. However, they were supposed to be working on a Wii U version, which they've been developing and they've announced since the beginning, since this project came out, uh, since they announced it on Kickstarter, that one of their goals was to get a Wii U version of this game. Now, the PS3 and Xbox 360 versions of these games have already been announced that they will not happen. Mm-hmm. When they came out and started talking about the Wii U version, they said the best they're currently doing is getting 720p with 23 frames per second. And that's... That's harsh. Cinematic. Mm. It's cinematic. Ubisoft should publish this game, because it looks really good. <laughs> It'll look like a movie. However... Yeah, no, sure. It Really looking at that, we all know that that's pretty terrible. Yeah. It's bad. The interesting thing that they said is that they were going to see if they could port it over to Nintendo's next system, the NX, as it's called right now. If they speak about it at E3, which Nintendo has already said isn't going to happen. And that, to me, could that says a lot about where the Wii U is, and I think it says a lot about where the NX might be. In so much as what? Like, well, regarding the NX specifically? Well, when you, when you talk about the NX, I think it means that some developers may have access to this thing. Because, look... They're saying they didn't know it was going to be this hard to publish on the Wii U. I'm calling. I'm kind of throwing a little bit of a bullshit flag on that. Their publisher is Bandai Namco. Bandai Namco has worked a lot with the Wii U up to this point. The Tekken Tag Tournament, mm-hmm. and they helped co-develop Super Smash Brothers mm. uh, for the Wii U. So for them to come out and say we weren't expecting this much difficulty with the Wii U, well, Bandai Namco could have lent some re- a little bit of resources and technical knowledge into getting this game to run smoothly. And the fact that they're still trying to plug away on it tells me when they come out and they say, we're going to wait for the next system if it's announced at E3, may tell me that maybe Bandai Namco knows a little bit more about Nintendo's next system than anyone's being led to believe. That out there, publishers and developers have some information about what the next Nintendo system may have to offer. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, the thing with the PS3 and 360 versions being dropped and then the Wii U sort of being up in the air, like, this is not uncommon for games that have been kickstarted where, you know, you're not necessarily guaranteed everything. Um, So I guess I'm not really surprised that it's happening. Um, It's unfortunate, but... At the same time, like, I know I certainly wouldn't want, you know, them to release a subpar game. And I know that they wouldn't either. I personally, not really invested in racing games so much. I've heard a lot about Project Cars because, uh, compared to some of the other games like Drive Club, which was a disaster, um, 
it's been one of the better ones that have been released in recent memory. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting take on it. I'm, I'd am i like to know more about this NX, and it's unfortunate that apparently we're not going to hear much. The other thing it speaks this speaks to is just how underpowered the Wii U really is. Well, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, I mean we, we've all kind of known it. We've all known it. Yeah. That the Wii U is an underpowered system compared to the Xbox One and the PS4. Mm. But racing games are one of those kind of games that you can make technically a lot better. From understand, fighting games and racing games are the kind of games that are easier to get to 1080p, 30 or 60 frames per second. Whereas games like first-person shooters or, or things with a lot of things going on the screen are a lot harder to get there. Well, yeah, I mean, it's that, and specifically with, like, fighting and racing games, generally speaking, you know, you're you're loading, like, one relatively small level at a time. Whereas, you know, your typical RPG or any open-world game like Assassin's Creed or something like that, you're, you're demanding a lot more of the hardware all at once. So, I mean, that's the same thing with, like, PT. That's why PT looked amazing, is because it's... You're in two hallways and like a handful of rooms you know so when you have that small of a play space of course you can you can dedicate more resources exactly to make it look nice yeah and so it just tells me that the Wii U really is underpowered compared to the other systems and it's I think it shows how well of a job Nintendo's doing with its own software considering that almost all of its software is still 1080p 60 frames per second Right. But when it comes to third parties and third parties trying to work on that software and make it the same on other systems, it's a damn shame that it really is that underpowered. And I think it's intriguing that they're saying they're waiting to hear about the NX because I think that may mean it's closer to being announced than Nintendo's letting on or there's other people, publishers, developers, that know more about that system than Nintendo also is letting people think. So, I mean, do you think that Nintendo is just... Do you think they're pulling back from the more traditional outlets like E3 and they're just going to continue announcing things through their own like Nintendo Directs at this point? I, I think so, and I think that's mostly because E3, E3 has lost a lot of its luster mm. since the mid-90s, because then it, it used to be huge then. But we, we can touch on that at the end of the discussion when we get into our E3 predictions. Indeed. Yeah, and I think we have, what, is this our last bit of Nintendo news? Okay. Last bit of Nintendo news, and this this part's great. I, I love this, even though I'll never do it, but so, I love it. I have no idea, like, how anybody figured this out, but, um, so if you are one of the many people, I'm sure, who just picked up a shiny new copy of Splatoon, uh, there is a rather unique way to play the game. Uh, now, granted, you can only do this in the one versus one battle dojo mode of the game, so you can't do this like online or whatever. But if you really wanted to be super creative, um, or if you've got a bunch of time on your hands, uh, you can take a Wii Remote Plus and a Classic Controller or a Classic Controller Pro and basically just tape them together and use that to play the game. This is this is Nintendo's virtual reality confirmed by taping the gamepad to your face. <laughs> and and this was actually confirmed. <laughs> this is the first step. 
this is confirmed by like Splatoon's official Tumblr page, which apparently is a thing. Because why not? Why not? Um, so yeah, Nintendo says you could totally do this. So if you've uh, you know if you're really feeling adventurous and you've got a couple of extra controllers kicking around, just you know feel free to lash them together and um, fucking go nuts. I'm just wondering who would take the time. To do this, like, who would think this is more practical than playing with the gamepad? Because I, I, I mean, practical is not the word you're looking for. <laughs> I think this is just someone who's bored and like, yeah, I wonder if I can do this. This sounds, this sounds, oh, I can do this. This is cool. Um, I played Splatoon more in depth on uh, Friday when a local store here uh, went and had a Splatoon event, and we played Splatoon there. Shane wasn't there, but I took my youngest with me and to play it it's a lot of fun it is, really is a lot of fun it has some glaring issues that I stand by that I said last week that needs voice support mm. um, it needs, there, there needs to be a lot of things different modes different kind of support things like that I think it, it has some issues but it's is a lot of fun it's a very fun game so speaking of online gaming Microsoft evidently has found a way to cut the amount of bandwidth that is used for game streaming by over 80% which is Actually, pretty impressive from a technological standpoint. So they've got this system that they've been working on um, called Kawahai. Kawahai, which is uh, a Hawaiian word for stream, which is very clever. And I guess this the way the system works, from what I understand, is rather than offloading all of the work um, to the server side, which is traditionally how this you know game streaming stuff has worked it's sort of a mix of both where it's still going to utilize the hardware power on whatever device you happen to be using um, in conjunction with the server that you're streaming from Uh, so it seems like a good compromise uh, especially because if we're really being honest about this game streaming is not speaking of practical it's it's really not it's not a practical way to play games and it's also a not at the huge, moment not at the moment but it's also a huge resource drain as chris spills his beer all over my carpet all over my phone fuck uh, yeah. <laughs> more importantly the carpet i think <laughs> Now that the technical difficulties have been taken care of, my phone is safe, and so is this carpet. Uh, what the hell are we talking about? We're talking about cloud gaming. Sure, yeah. And Kawahai. Yes, Kawahai. So, <clears throat> as I was saying, realistically, game streaming is really a a huge drain on resources. So any any way to cut down on that is a plus. I mean, if you want to get really hippie about it. That sort of horsepower that it takes to stream that kind of game is a lot. Um, I mean, it's nice and convenient that you can have an underpowered piece of hardware in your home that can play, you know, high-quality games or whatever, but um, 
on, on the back end, the part that you don't see, uh, that is that is burning a lot of cycles trying to stream that stuff to you. And it, it's still difficult, especially with a, a, a lot of people not having a decent enough internet connection to really make this work either. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like mine is probably passable. I'm not sure if it would be the best experience. Like, I know some people that live in major cities have excellent internet. They have, like, fiber or whatever. I do not. There's, I have fiber at my house, and it's still not that yeah. good. It's only, like, only 13, 15 up. It's pretty bad. But when I look at something like this, this is a huge step forward in getting cloud gaming rolling. This is where I'm going to... I'm lamenting a little bit that it's happening because... I don't want it to be true, but I think it is the case that cloud gaming will be the future of gaming. A lot of people want to say it's VR. Uh, a lot of people say it's going to be digital. I think digital is more the present of gaming, digital gaming and downloading. But cloud gaming, I think this is where games are going to move into. It's going to save you space. It works out for publishers. It makes them more money. And they want to get to the point where you're able to... The, in, the internet you have is going to be fast enough in order to support this. And to see it more rely more on hardware, like Kawahai seems to do with decreasing the bandwidth by 80% by relying more on hardware, shows that steps are being taken for cloud gaming to start. And cloud gaming is already here with PlayStation now. And I think that's more of their beta for figuring out exactly how they're going to make this work with more modern games. Because they're staying with PS3 and older, and you're using subscriptions, and we've all seen the price and how high those subscriptions are. They're mm. they're pretty high. That's probably to maintain that it works. But imagine if they could get something that cuts down on that bandwidth. If they could get something that puts less of a load on their servers to get it to you and relies more on your hardware in order to process that information. How much money they're going to start making when they start charging like twenty dollars a month? To stream. Well, isn't or, that what, or, or isn't that what PlayStation Now is? That's what PlayStation it's Now like 20 is. 20 bucks a month. But we only have really heard what cloud streaming and cloud gaming is going to be from Sony right now. Right. We really haven't heard what Microsoft is going to do. Because if they're playing with this, if Microsoft is the one that's playing with this, then Microsoft is going to be coming out with something soon as well. Uh, I don't think Nintendo will, but Nintendo does what Nintendo does. And I think Valve is enjoying too many profits off what they're doing with the digital stuff. And I don't see indies going this route. I think it'd be too cost prohibitive on indies to set up servers unless they get some major publishers that with a little bit of a kickback. I can see AAA games and AAA publishers and developers going this route because imagine how much money Rockstar would save if they didn't have to manufacture those 20, 30 million copies of Grand Theft Auto and just had that data saved on a server and just charged everyone... Uh, a certain set price, probably twenty, thirty dollars, to play that game and stream it from their servers. <clears throat> well, okay, you say that, but again, this goes back to what we discussed when we were talking about digital versus physical. Which is, as of right now, we are for some insane reason still paying more or less the same amount of money for a digital copy of a new game as opposed to a physical copy. Right. So you say that they're going to charge like 20 or 30 bucks for the ability to stream a new game. I'm I hypothetical, don't though. see that happening. 
Uh, but this is all hypothetical. They could still charge you $16. I mean, sure, this. it's hypothetical, but like you right. have to look at it from their business perspective. They're like, listen, we've already been able to con people into still paying 60 bucks for a digital copy of a game. Why not just continue doing that? They could, and they're going to charge you $60 to pay it you know, unlimited streaming through the cloud. Mm-hmm. But that's, I don't know which would be cheaper, probably the actual digital copy because you're downloading it multiple times. But now publishers are going to have complete control over their products if it's coming from a server rather than it's downloaded directly to your hard drive. I don't know. I This might be the old man in me, but I still, I, I actually don't really like this. <laughs> I don't like it either. I, I don't like it because we're losing whatever modicum of ownership that we once had over the games that we buy. I mean, even as of right now, if you look at the terms and you know terms and agreements that no one ever reads, uh, for the games that you buy now, if you bought a digital copy, which I'm, and this is this might sound like hypocritical because I totally do this, you know, I've got freaking almost three hundred games on my Steam list, but you're essentially leasing that game. You don't own any of it. And they say very clearly in a lot of those terms and conditions that they have the right to just revoke that at any time. So if you're if, if this is the future where you don't actually... Not only do you not buy a physical copy, but then you also don't even really download a digital copy of the game as it exists as we know it today. There is even less sense of ownership there where if it exists on a server... Somewhere and they close down those servers. They yeah, at any time could just be like, eh, you know what, eh, we're done with this one. Uh, we're closing it out, and you will never be able to play that game again. Nope. And well, you're, that you're going to see the rise of hackers and you're going to see the rise of piracy. They're going to find a way to do it. They 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 have. They're going to find a way to do it. And that's the unfortunate part is we have to start viewing the people who are doing things illegally as the the barons of preservation, which totally fucking sucks that you have to look at it that way that the only people evidently that are really interested in preserving you know these these games for future generations to see are the ones that are essentially being branded criminals right and you're right i think this is the old person in me because i remember talking to someone who was 19 at a, at a local game shop and we were having a discussion over digital versus physical and you know they were afraid like we were going to side on the side of strictly physical mm. because we're older and <laughs> yeah right and um, we were going to side with physical because of that and I, I, they were a PC gamer so I could kind of understand they would side more on digital for that reason but it is really the old people in us and, and old is you know, a loose term. In terms of gamers, we're, we're on the older side. But even with the physical releases, even if you read the, ter- uh, the terms of agreements on those, when you buy a PlayStation 1 disc, when you bought that in the day, mm-hmm. it didn't say you actually own the game. You own the license to play the game. And well, that's how they can get yeah. YouTubers. I understand it's a different thing. You own a PlayStation 1. Sony doesn't support a PlayStation 1. You own Final Fantasy VII for the PS1. You know, Squaresoft isn't going to, you know, come back and return your copy for you. Well, but you can, <laughs> you well, can, you can play thing. this. You can still play the game. Right. Like, I know that you never necessarily really owned the game, like, in a 
100% legal sense. Sure. I get that. But, like, you could at least go and, like, I have a PS1 sitting in the other room right now that I can go throw my CD copy of the first Silent Hill in and play right now. Whereas a lot of these games, you just will not ever be able to do that. Like, you will never be able to go back, like, 10, 15, 20 years after they were released and be like, you know what? I still have that copy sitting in my closet in a box somewhere. I want to play it again. And I think it's unfortunate for the people who embrace gaming now. I thought, you know, they're, they're enjoying it now, and I, you know, good for them. You know, good for them. The good they, they haven't seen the industry as long as we have and gotten that point where we look back and like, wow, it's, I'm glad I can still play my Nintendo and Super Nintendo games. Because yeah. when I was back, you know, back when you're going through and you're enjoying Super Nintendo, a PlayStation, Nintendo 64 games, you're like, this is just another game. It's a new game, especially when you're younger. You're thinking to yourself, eh whatever, I don't really care for it, and you kind of ignore it, and now here I am 20 years later, and I'm like, wow, I'd love to go back and play these games. When you start moving forward to a cloud-based system where everything's on servers, 15, 20 years from now, when that nostalgia comes in, and these people start having a really good income base, and they want to go back and play those games, they're not going to have that ability to do that, and I think that's unfortunate, and I wish there's a way that those people could do that in a legal manner. But well, it's who, knows, also, who knows if they're going to be able to. It's unfortunate, but then it's also these companies kind of shooting themselves in the foot, right? Because, like, this whole nostalgia train thing, they know that they have they totally have us by the balls as far as that goes. Because Nintendo does. A lot of them do. I, I don't mean, think Sony necessarily knows or Microsoft. Uh, I mean, Nintendo definitely has a really good grasp on it because, oh, I don't know, I'm playing fucking Ocarina of Time on my 3DS again, so, you know... Well, look how well Amiibos are doing. That's pretty much all based off nostalgia. But if you've got games like this where the original release was like a (laughs) digital-only streaming service type thing, when people that were, you know... Like, if people that are at the age... Now, when something like that comes out, that I was at the age when Ocarina of Time was released, give them like 10 or 15 years, and when they come back and they're like, oh, that game that I really loved when I was like 12, I have this huge nostalgia for it and I really want to play it again, there's a really good chance they just will not be able to. On the flip side, this could be a way for publishers and developers to make money 15, 20 years down the road. But that's what I'm Potentially, saying, Potentially, I mean, this but, is strictly potential, because when you're on a cloud-based server, you can always kind of reintroduce these games. Hey, this game is back. Or, but, I mean, that is all, like, predicated on the assumption that those services and those servers and stuff will still be a thing. Well, what's even worse is that you can see these gamings go to more of a Netflix-based subscription program. Well, I mean, it's been tried. I mean, it's like Gamefly. They tried. Uh, they've been online. trying to do that. Well, yeah, which is gone now. Which is gone. But can you I see? I think that was a little early. Honestly, yeah. I think they were a little early. They were way ahead of their time. Yeah. But can you see like the PlayStation brand being that app you upload on your TV? Which I mean, it's getting there, but exclusively that app you bring up on your TV, and you could like you have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime. You know, in the future, it's going to be. PlayStation Now, Xbox, whatever they want to call it, and Nintendo NX Streaming. Well, I mean, and that is a conversation that has been had um, quite a bit, where 
I don't want to say the general consensus, but there is a not insignificant portion of the industry and the gaming community that believes that this may very well be the last generation of actual dedicated consoles. And I can't say that I disagree um, with the way that everything is headed. Um, you're, I would not be surprised if that's exactly what we saw. You know, with the fact that we have smart TVs now that connect to your home Wi-Fi with apps and stuff, and with the way that hardware is progressing, and with things like, you know, Kawahai, which is working towards making streaming of video games a more feasible and workable option, yeah, I can totally see that. That The next thing you buy might not be the Xbox 1080 or whatever. <laughs> whatever they want to call it. Like, it will just be an app that you purchase for X amount of dollars and install on your smart TV, and then you can stream games just like you stream movies on Netflix. That is a very real possibility. Especially I, with the FCC... Uh, coming out and saying that internet's going to be more like utility. If you use utility, they can't right. restrict your bandwidth usage and how high, you know, if you're going to get that upload, download, it's just going to be whoever facilitates that. It's not going to be you have to pick your speed. It's going to be like water flows, megabits yeah. will flow. So, and that, I mean, that's definitely a good thing. Yes, but. that is a good thing. But uh, when they do that and you decrease your bandwidth by 80%, Cloud gaming is showing itself to be more and more the future of gaming. You said you don't like it. Well, I don't like it, but I think it's, I don't it's like going what to be it, there. I don't like what it means. I, I'm not going to lie. I like the convenience of it. I mean, that's why I like the convenience of Steam. You know, I can oh, just yeah. drop a few bucks, download a game, and now I have it. You know, the convenience is a big factor, but what it implies for the future of gaming and the preservation of this digital medium that we have, that is what I don't like. Staying with Microsoft, some interesting rumors have come out this week, and they pertain to Silent Hills. As we all know, <sighs> Silent Hills was officially canceled mm -hmm. by Konami mm -hmm. and PT was taken off the PlayStation Store and originally well I want to say originally but yes Silent Hills was going to be a PlayStation 4 exclusive which is why PT was only on the PS4 some rumors came out this week saying that Microsoft was looking in to buying the Silent Hill franchise from Konami for potentially billions of dollars which, even from a financial standpoint, makes zero sense. Because None. even if they were going to sell, like... If they sold a copy of Silent Hills to every single person that bought a Microsoft... Uh, an Xbox One at a $60 retail price, there is no way in hell they would recoup billions of dollars. No, but Will they did do that with Minecraft. Dude, whatever. So, Fucking Microsoft makes some weird decisions. I don't think they're going to recoup all the money they spent on Minecraft either, but Notch doesn't care. The Notch isn't even part of Minecraft. He sold that shit off. Yeah, like, for billions of dollars, so he don't care yeah, what Microsoft does with it now, he's, because he's swimming in money. He's living in a mansion, like, Scrooge McDucking <laughs> into a fucking pool of money right now. Like, <laughs> he does not give a shit. Fuck no. But, but uh, yeah, so the rumor actually originally was that a quote-end-quote uh, inside source had reached out to Rooster Teeth and told them that Microsoft was in talks with Konami to purchase and release Silent Hills as an Xbox One exclusive. 
Uh, that was earlier in the week, so of course that got the rumor mill churning. And uh, come to find out, that is not true at all. Well, according to Phil Spencer, uh, who is kind of in charge of the Microsoft division, which we... It's pretty much not true. Came out, he's came out and said that. I, 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 I still think where there's smoke, there's fire. It doesn't mean there necessarily has to be a, a huge fire. But where there's smoke, there's fire. Do I think that at one point Microsoft was probably talking to Konami and trying to get Silent Hills on the Xbox as well in addition to the PS4? I would say yeah. Sure, yeah. I think it came from those talks that you get the thing that Microsoft was trying to bring it over to the Xbox One. So that's where I think that, that that's where the rumor is. And this might be kind of a delayed fuse about getting that information out. And that's what the inside source is probably talking about. Yeah, no, I don't doubt that at all. Like, I'm sure Microsoft was trying probably pretty hard to get that over. I mean, you really don't want to have that many sort of exclusives, especially something that potentially as big as Silent Hills and with the way that, you know, PT went over with its generally very positive reception. Um, But yeah, so Phil Spencer went to Twitter, uh, which really has become the de facto way that uh, you know, companies like this communicate. Well, I think it's good that he comes out and says it on Twitter. I think it makes it more makes him more human. No, I, <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm not disagreeing. I just think it's interesting that from all of the possible avenues that you could get information from, it seems that Twitter is the most the most real. I guess if you want to put it that way. Right. That that is the one place where a lot of developers and a lot of publishers will, in some cases, drop their PR shield at least a little bit and be a little bit more of a real person, which is definitely nice. I know, like, for a fact, for example, that Blizzard does that quite often. It can get you in trouble, though, but not in this case. And it has. Yes. And it has, but but not in this case, no. So, uh, specifically, Phil Spencer came out and said on Twitter... He said, no, this is... No, I'm sorry, this isn't true. Right. Straight quotes is from Twitter, sorry, this isn't true. Not sure where the rumor started, but I don't want to mislead anybody. So, I mean, really, I, I, I think that's pretty final, honestly. Like, I, I, it was such a better story before he came out and said that. <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah, no, rumors are always fun, but uh, and of course, I, being a Silent Hill fan, don't want to see this project die. But at the same time. There's a lot of logistics around that that I don't think that they could reconcile. I mean, first of all, from what we know, the contract with... Uh, why can I not remember his name right now? I only Guillermo del Toro or no. Norman Reedus? Norman Reedus, thank you. I, I, I just wanted to call him Daryl. Like <laughs> Daryl? But, uh, yeah, the contract with Norman Reedus, from what we understood, possibly expired, which might have been part of the reason that Silent Hills didn't end up happening the way it was going to. Then there's also, you know, collaborating with Guillermo del Toro and potentially Kojima. Because honestly, that was that was like the perfect storm, right? Of uh, you had del Toro, who is known as being a director that is really into some weird shit in, in a good way, but especially his older stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and then Norman Reedus, who is definitely very popular right now, thank you, thanks to The Walking Dead. And, and and then, of course, Kojima. I mean, everybody wanted him to be involved with it. Which I'm not too sure would have been a good thing, but it's certainly an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, eh, yeah. But, but with that, like, triumvirate, you know, tacked on to this project, 
it was really being hyped up to be like a really big deal and possibly a return to form for the Silent Hill series. Uh, with that sort of being dashed, I don't see anybody, like even Microsoft, really pulling that kind of a team back together to make this work in the way that we thought it was going to. I mean, you know, Konami has said that they're not done with the Silent Hill franchise, but honestly that doesn't really mean shit to me because in the past, I don't know, decade or so, anything that's really come out that they've released for that franchise has been subpar at best. So you have to excuse me if I don't have a whole lot of like faith in that. Well, I know they came out this week too and said we still want to work on consoles. We still have faith in consoles. But I think that was more of a, oh, we got to do some PR. <sighs> That's damage control. Damage control That's here. all that is. And like, you know what? We, we still we still do love you guys. We, we still love you. We really do. Um, but they don't. I don't see them coming out with anything interesting. Now, I think at the story, like I said, where there's smoke, there's fire. And anyone who makes it to the point in Phil Spencer's career, where Phil Spencer is at, knows some politics. So he may view it as, and he comes out this and says, oh, we weren't talking about purchasing Silent Hills. We were trying to get the Silent Hill franchise. Or whatever the case may be, it might be a spin. I hope, this is me hoping that's what he's saying. Because if Microsoft could get a franchise that Konami really isn't doing fuck all with, then I, I could see someone doing something special with it, as long as they don't make it connect game. I think it would be okay. <laughs> Please don't even like put that idea out there. Like I don't want anybody to pick up on that. <laughs> hey, look, look what they did to Rare. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it, my it point. It can happen. It can happen. Uh, yeah, but I don't want it to. But anyway, Silent Hills right now still uh, rumored decline, not coming to the Xbox One. I'm just disappointed in, in that... In general, I just hope it would come no, out. No, I'm just disappointed that the, the game is not happening. Yes. I actually really don't want it to become like a Microsoft exclusive for purely personal reasons because I sure as hell am not buying an Xbox One. So. But here's the thing. If it comes out as a Microsoft exclusive for an Xbox One, it probably is going to end up being on PC too. I mean, yeah, I guess. So you would still win as a PC gamer. If it came out on the, on the PS4 well, exclusively... I, mean, I always win as a PC gamer. And PC Master Race, yeah. <laughs> but if if it came out on the PS4, you know it wouldn't be coming out on a PC. No, that's true. So you, as a PC gamer, you kind of hope that Microsoft gets the rights to it because it always ends up there. All right, we've been talking a lot about Kickstarter recently on the Retro Hangover podcast. And we've been looking at a lot of projects. A lot of the projects we've been talking about have been very successful in getting backed. Mostly because I think they're relying heavily on nostalgia stuff like ukulele and Bloodstain. Well, there is a new project coming out there that I'm personally thinking looks really cool and has potential to be a very good game as well. And it's called Perception. And it's from a lot of the former developers, some of the former developers from Irrational Games. For those of you who don't know, Irrational Games are the people that were behind Bioshock, which... Heavily acclaimed, highly critically acclaimed. People love it. Sold very well. And very, Dead very Space. And Dead Space. I'm looking at a lot of what this game is doing. I'm seeing what what the concepts that they want to go with it. I think it looks phenomenal. And it just hasn't met the same success that the other games like Ukulele and Bloodstained and Mighty Number no. 9 have achieved. Even though having a very similar and more recent pedigree. 
Well, I, I think you kind of hit on that already. Is part part of that is I don't think this really has any sort of like nostalgia factor. So you're not going to get the you know late twenty, early thirties something person like us just throwing money at the screen as soon as we see something that reminds us of you know beer going all over my floor again. I got protected this time. <laughs> uh, that reminds us of games that we played when we were younger. Uh, also, I think horror games, which is what this is, uh, are a harder sell overall. Um, it's I, I still don't think those have quite as a mass appeal as some of the other genres. I mean, as well as Alien Isolation did for itself, comparatively speaking, it's nowhere near the numbers that you'd get for, you know... Uh, Call of Duty or, or whatever, but um, yeah, I'm actually pretty excited for this one. Um, the The main conceit of it is that you play as a young blind woman who ends up having to solve mysteries and survive um, purely based on what they're calling something similar to an echolocation system, um, which I think is really cool. If you, if you go to their Kickstarter page and look at the trailer and some of the screenshots that they have, um, if if you're familiar with Daredevil at all, particularly the Netflix series um, that is currently out, because that really gives you a better sense of what it is. And by the way, if, ha- if you haven't seen that and you have Netflix, shame on you. Yeah, you you really need to watch it. It's, it's good. Um, the way that you quote-unquote see in this game is very similar to the way that Daredevil sees the world. Um, so... I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, hyped for it. I'm gonna definitely end up backing it. Uh, right now, they're are they even halfway to their goal? They aren't halfway yet. They're sixty five thousand, and they are asking for a hundred and fifty. And they've still got twenty four days to go as of the day of this recording. Um, so, you know, we were just talking about Silent Hills and how that's probably not happening. Um, if, if you're, if you're a fan of, you know, survival horror games like that, I would, I'd give this, I'd give this a look. Um, this has a lot of promise and it, it definitely needs some more backers before this thing expires. Um, and honestly, 150,000, that is It's a, not much for a Kickstarter. Not with not the pedigree. At all. Not with the pedigree that these guys are carrying. No, and uh, I we really should be able to hit that. I'm trying to see what they have for any stretch goals. There's a PlayStation 4 release at uh, $375,000. I don't think they're going to make that. I, I don't think they're going to make that. It would be nice. I would really like to see that on a, on a console release as well as Steam. I think what's missing from this is Ken Levine, mm-hmm. who left Rational Gains on his own and, and kind of you know considered the mastermind of irrational games. If he had come in here and he had launched his support, I think this game would be covered already. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I really hope this actually gets funded. Like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my throw my lot in with it and see how, how much, it goes. How much for just for the digital version? What do you need to get the digital? Is it twenty like uh, something? It has to be in the twenty range. So for just a digital download, it's twenty bucks. Now, do you think this might have to do with like Kickstarter burnout? Probably, yeah. Um, I think it's harder now for things to get funded on Kickstarter because people uh, are not only burnt out on it because it's a constant stream of stuff that people mm-hmm. are trying to kickstart, 
But they're, I think they're a lot more cautious about what they're going to put their money into. You're asking a lot of people who, who you want are, to back stuff right now. You are. and Well, that's the thing. Is there's just no uh, guarantee on the return. Oh, and there never is. That's that, and that's the thing. I think people have learned already that with Kickstarter, you don't have a guarantee. Just because you put twenty bucks in doesn't mean you're actually going to get something. You may not. Um, and it's not to say that survival horror type games have not succeeded on Kickstarter uh, because they have. Uh, there was one called Among the Sleep that I actually backed, and it was a really cool concept. Um, and it it turned out well enough. Um, it, I mean, it obviously got funded and everything. So there's a precedent for it. I mean, it can happen. I just think that with all of the factors surrounding Kickstarter also being a somewhat niche category like survival horror is also not helping. But survival horror has found some success re- recently, especially in the PC market. And one of those developers that has found success has been Frictional. Mm-hmm. with the Amnesia series. And right now, Frictional is coming out with another one of these games. That's going to be coming out. They've announced it. And it's going to be called Soma. This has been a game that's been in development now for five years. And if you've played Amnesia, and I tried playing it for 30 minutes before I turned it off and got under the covers of my bed, <laughs> you know that they produce, for the most part, high-quality horror games, even though they're on, they're, they're on a more limited budget because of the fact that they're indie. I mean, yeah, and arguably Dark Descent, the first Amnesia game, I think, was better received than Machine for Pigs. They had made some changes to that second game that uh, I don't think went over as well. Um, but they're they're branching out a little bit now with Soma as it's more of a sci-fi oriented uh, survival horror game. Uh, so, according to the announcement they made this past Friday, they're launching this thing on September 22nd, um, and along with this announcement, they released a 12-minute gameplay trailer, uh, to go along with it. So, I'm, I'm kind of always a sucker for a good survival horror game, as much as, like, (laughs) with, with like, Alien Isolation, I can, as I said last week, I can probably play it for an hour or two at a time before I have to, like, put it down and go, like, pet a puppy or something, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, uh, but overall, it's, it's definitely something that I'm always looking for, another decent entry into that, uh, particular genre, so I, I have faith that Frictional will put out another, another good one. Um, and Soma seems to be shaping up that way. So come September, we'll uh, see how that turns out. Yeah, it's, they, they have a pretty good track record. I know Machine for Pigs wasn't really received as well as probably anyone thought it would be. But they do have the pedigree of having Amnesia out there, which was fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do, with, especially in a sci-fi atmosphere. Because that's something that really, I don't think, has been explored as much as it possibly could be. You said Alien Isolation, that there, but that's using a big franchise. I think the last one to really get it right was Dead Space. But in between then, there really hasn't been much since like the Saturn era with Enemy Zero, and no one knows what the hell that is. So I guess I will that say, doesn't really matter. I will say that for <laughs> sci-fi survival horror specifically, mm-hmm. prior to the original Dead Space, because Dead Space oh, 2 was... Made by Irrational, the guys who formed Irrational. I mean, I was going to say System Shock 2. Yes. Yeah. 
that that game like as far as i'm concerned that is one of the standards for sci-fi survival horror and if you haven't played system shock 2 need to. go onto like goodoldgames.com and go fucking buy it Stop because it's me. really good. You're looking at me with judging eyes because I haven't played it. I know I, mean, I should have. I think I've, there's been <laughs> options to get it for free and I've just passed it up or something. It's going to feel awful. You disappoint me. All um, right. So, speaking of PS4 games... Um, I guess we could say that. I mean, well, I mean... We, and, we're going to transition one way or another. I mean... And, oh, okay. That's good. Yeah, Why are all of these beers exploding? I, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you did this on purpose. Yeah. But they're good. I mean, I don't know that yet. I haven't even <laughs> had one. My carpet could probably tell me that it tastes really <laughs> fucking great, but... Alright, so, so Sony has come out with some stuff that's pretty interesting. This is just puzzling to me. And I understand why they're saying it, because they're the, they're the big dog on the block right now. And they came out and said that their first party lineup, they admitted this, for the next year, is going to be a little sparse. <laughs> that is a quote, by the way. A little sparse. Like, that... That might be an understatement. I'm just gonna say. I don't like. I don't think they have anything major for the next year at all. If you want to talk a little sparse, their first party development so far this year hasn't even been much to speak of. They had what the Order 1886, which got lambasted pretty much left and right by everybody on uh, how short it was and how generic it was. I mean, it has a pretty good atmosphere, but for the most part, just a generic third-person shooter that didn't do much for anybody. And then you've got Bloodborne, which they published, but they didn't develop. Right. I mean, and, and that one has obviously been much more of a success, but still. Critically, yeah, at the, for, the, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I've basically heard only generally good things right. from people that have played it. Well, maybe with the exception of a few of my friends who... Who've basically given up on it at this point, but that that's a different story. But to come out and say that your first party lineup is going to be a little sparse, I think Sony might be going down a very dangerous road if that will be the case. They are, we are living in a generation now where multiplats are abound. There's just tons of multiplats. If and if you're going to get a system for exclusives right now, you're getting a Wii U. That being said. Microsoft's Phil Spencer came out, I think this was during last week or the week before, and said that Microsoft wants to focus more on making new games and making new IPs and making first-party efforts. PC never has to worry about this. Because no. if you're a PC gamer, you know you're going to get the best experience when it comes to multiplats. Uh, okay, I, I will throw a caveat into that, which is traditionally... Although this has been getting better, while you might get the best experience from a performance standpoint, assuming that you have a you know decently powered gaming PC, a lot of PC ports have been categorically awful. Um, like for example, the first Dark Souls PC port was almost unplayable in a lot of cases, and you had to rely on a third-party, like, fan-made fix in order to actually play that game correctly. But here's the thing. Those fan-made fixes exist. And yes, Those, those patches do, exist. But to say that that is the best way to play it is not 
necessarily always true. Um, There's a lot of pain points that come with PC ports. And like I said, it's been getting better. And as, as long as... Especially now that everything's on x86 architecture. Right, definitely. And so if things are moving in that direction to where PC is really being considered more of, or less of like the neglected stepchild of the multi-platform, you know, universe, then that's fine. And things have been getting better, but so far up until this point, um, it's been rough. It's been rough recently, and I I, I follow what you're saying. It's been rough in terms, they have been getting bad ports, because Mortal Kombat X was a bad port. Mm. Uh, There were some speed bumps with uh, Grand Theft Auto V and how long it took it to come out. The PC, the PC gaming community is used to these patches, whereas the console guys really are just... They're starting to embrace patches to fix things. They still are. There well, have been patches. Yeah, and, and they knew to expect patches. Well, they, yes. And then, you know, you're right that you do have the PC gaming community there to... To fix it with mods. To fix it, right. And, and it's nice that you have that ability on the PC in, in the majority of cases, though I'm not going to say that that... Just because that's the way it is now doesn't mean it's the way it should be. But when you're in a generation where you specifically design your console to be an x86 console, like Microsoft and Sony have done, Mm. to bring in more developers because they're more used to doing this off PC with PC being as big as it is, you have to find a way to convince people to get your console. Sony has found a way to do this by, I think, mostly smoke and mirrors. Because they have pretty much you know, people who are console gamers pretty remember, remember the past console and what it was and how Microsoft screwed up with their delivery of what the Xbox One was supposed to be mm. by saying this was going to be a digital only, it was going to have DRM, and it was going to be a TV box. Well, and and, and Sony came out and said ours is going to play games. Yeah, they advertised that thing with fucking football. They were like. The NFL! Yeah, they were like, you can totally watch the NFL on this thing. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that to a room of people who don't give a shit. They were just like, is this, can I can I play games on it? Because that's what I want. Oh, you can watch HBO. Yeah, great. <laughs> I can watch HBO on my phone now. I don't care about that. Like, I, I if you're going to talk about a game console, talk about some fucking games. But, but look what Microsoft has done first party-wise. They came out with Sunset Overdrive. They're going to come out with Halo 5. They're going to come out with another remaster of Gears of War. But Gears of War is approaching 10 years old, so I can kind of understand that. They came out with the Master Chief Collection, which was, for the most part, cool. Uh, because you can switch between the two different versions of each. So it's kind of... Even though that release was also a fucking nightmare. Online, online it was. But if you played the single-player experience, it, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, but you're also saying that about a game that basically gave birth to a lot of, like... That was the reason a lot of people started playing co-op online, like, games. online yes. gaming, was because of Halo. Like, you had people with Xboxes with, like, cables running across their dorm room hallways so that they could I play Xbox. I remember those days. So, you know, that's still a big deal. And, the, and the, how they managed to, like, fuck that up when Halo used to be the standard for uh, reliable, you know, online gaming is beyond me, but... But when you come out and say you don't have many exclusives coming out, especially in the this new era of multi-plats, it's, it's dangerous. Because right now, I mean, if you've been holding out 
If you've been holding out on buying a PS4 or an Xbox One... Which I have. Which you have. There is almost no reason to do that if you have a decent PC gaming rig. Which I do. If you've been holding out... Uh, I've I even said this... Now, I got a PS4 for Christmas. Mm. And I can tell you right now, I only have one physical game for the PS4, and that's Destiny. And that's because it came with it. That's all I got. If... You want to invest your money, go get a PC gaming rig. Go spend money on that PC gaming rig because you go into Steam and guess what? These games that are costing $60 physical copies for Xbox One and PS4 uh, that aren't exclusive and you can get on Steam or uh, Uplay or good old games or any of these things, they'll get down to $15 three months after release. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the initial upfront cost, of course, is always going to be more. You know, you're going to pay more for a good gaming PC than you would for a console, but at the same time, you're still going to get more life out of it. And and yes, you are basically avoiding this whole platform exclusivity argument. And, and yes, uh, you know, this is somewhat troubling, uh, particularly from a business standpoint, at least for Sony, because with the ubiquity of multi-platform games now the only thing that's going to discern one console from another is the exclusives that they manage to nail down or their first party games and I, I'm i not going to say that I even like that strategy because I don't like platform exclusivity just from a just from purely a gamer standpoint like the fact that I might not be able to play a game because it's, it's exclusive to a console gotta, I don't you own. you got to understand that from a business standpoint, though. That's what they well, but do that, to get you. Right. And that's what I said. Right. So I get it purely from a business standpoint, and that's the only thing they have to discern themselves from one another. I get that. But I'm not... I don't own stock in either of them, and I don't right. work for them. As a gamer, I don't like platform exclusivity, and I never have... Um, because you could potentially miss out on something. I mean, even going back to freaking PS2, you know, there were games that were exclusive to the PS2 that I never got to play or still haven't played because I never owned one because I had a Nintendo console and my parents sure as hell weren't going to buy me something else. And the GameCube is awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, you know. got a lot of exclusives in that one, though. I mean, well, come on, Wind Waker? Yeah. You'd be able to play that. He had a PS2. I, I also never had a GameCube, but that's oh, that, that's sorry. That's a different story. <laughs> you missed out. Well, a lot of people did. Well, that's not the only little bomb that Sony dropped. It was they weren't going to have any games coming out. Mm. First party wise, anyway. Uh, it's also the interesting tidbit that they said that at least in North America and Europe, not in Japan, that the PS Vita and PS TV, which is essentially a Vita you plug into your TV. Are legacy platforms? Yeah, this this is their like polite way of saying that it's going to die. It's dead. Not that it's going to die. That it is. That it's dead. It's gone. Um, which is unfortunate. I think mostly for the PS TV, which I was I've been really looking into. GameStop has had it for like forty bucks. Mm. You could go in there and pick it up. And the only thing I'm not picking it up for is you can't stream Netflix from it. Which is I like that that's the deciding up. factor for that. Isn't it? <laughs> like, I really want to buy this, like, gaming thing, but can I watch Netflix? Mm. You know, I mean, 
I, I gotta be picky with it. I mean, I don't, I don't have a good streaming Netflix service on the TV I have in the other room, so if I can plug something in and watch Netflix, I, I'd like to because Google Chrome is twenty bucks and that has like everything. Mm. So why would I choose PlayStation TV over Google Chrome? Anyway, I digress. PlayStation TV is less than a year old. Yeah, that thing is less yeah. than a year old. And they're already saying that that is a commercial failure. We all knew that the PlayStation Vita in North America was a commercial failure. Which is unfortunate because the Vita itself is a very good console. And I can think of at least one or two people that may be listening to this podcast that are probably like <laughs> vehemently disagreeing because I know that they love their Vitas. It's, it is a good console. It's a very good console. They got good games if you like JRPGs. There's plenty of JRPGs on that on that console. You got a robust digital download community on there. You can get pretty much download every single PlayStation One game that's on there and PS Two game that's on there and play it on the PlayStation Vita. Uh, so you have access to all those games and you can download PSP games and you have access to Vita games as well. So there's plenty of games you can play for it. The screen is gorgeous, especially if the OL, the uh, OLED screen you have two analog sticks which something that nintendo still hasn't fully gotten yet yeah it's a shame to see that this didn't catch on in north america as well as even the 3ds did um to see it die and i'll be honest i don't own one but i think the major reason this thing died is because sony decided they're going to go out and charge a hundred dollars for the memory sticks that were required to use the thing yeah, uh, it just looks like they're shifting their focus more towards really cracking down on getting some stuff going for the PS4, and then also I really think they're shifting a lot of their resources towards the Morpheus, which, as we talked about previously, we may not necessarily agree with um, as far as you know how much they're really how much stock they're putting into that whole VR headset thing, but they certainly seem to think that it's worthwhile. So generally speaking, I think at least for Sony, their, their handheld business is probably going to be relegated mostly to the Asian markets is what it looks like, um, where it seems to be declining fairly rapidly in U S and most of Europe. I think one of the other things that you could see that they mentioned as well, uh, staying on our topic list is that they want to approach more casual gamers. The Vita is not a casual gamer system. I mean, and I would probably argue that any dedicated handheld is not considered casual. I mean, 3DS probably gets close, but I mean, I'm not sure that I would call someone that like actively uses a 3DS as a casual gamer. They have more casual kind of games on there, though. There's more games on a 3DS that are designed that you can pick up and play on the go that are meant to be played in short bursts than the Vita. Remember, the Vita well, was advertised... more so now. The Vita was advertised as a portable PlayStation 3. Yeah. That you could play your PlayStation 3 games on the go. But people who invest in portable gaming don't want the full console gaming experience on a portable system. They just never have. I used to think I did, and I used to enjoy it when I was more into portable gaming, having that full experience, but I think I'm in the minority on that. When people have that portable game, they want to have a game that they can pick up, play for 10 to 15 minutes, and put it down, and not have to track anything that's going on. 
Which really then begs the question, why are you not just playing that on your phone? Well, exactly. And I think... But Sony's had a lot of experience dabbling in the phone market, too. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what they might be going to when they say they want to address casual gamers. I think they view that the Vita's a lost cause, and they can go in the mobile markets with iOS and Android. And they can hook that up with their PS4. They don't need to make a piece of hardware and to put money into it when they can have casual gamers go into the iOS, Android, and hook that up through their PS4 and have people have other people make their portable platforms for them. I mean, how else are you going to get casual gamers through a PS4? you got to start somewhere, and the Vita isn't working for them. No, no. And, and I think... In addition to that, they were saying that they want to try to expand upon uh, their PS Plus service as well, because obviously... Surprise, surprise. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, having a subscription service like that, you know... Well, they've doubled since, what, 2013? Yeah, something like that. Since the launch of the PS4? I think that's mostly... The only reason that's double is because you can't play online games without having PS Plus anymore. Yeah, I mean, they kind of took the same route as Xbox Live on that one. Uh, I don't. I still don't subscribe to either of them because uh, I don't agree yeah. with the practice. If I have an online service, I'm already paying for online. That should be enough. I, there should not be a middleman, especially when you get attacked like jackasses like Lizard Squad, which we talked about last week, who can shut you down when pretty much ever they feel like it. Yeah, and speaking of things getting shut down... Yeah. Uh, Twitch recently has made the decision that they are just outright banning um, AO, which stands for adults only, games being streamed on their service, um, which coincidentally <laughs> is just in time for Hatred to be released, which I'm, can, I'm wondering if there's any sort of coincidence there. Now, there's absolutely no coincidence in the fact that this they made this announcement prior to Hatred coming out. The, I think a lot of people are curious on how Hatred's going to look. I think Twitch would be the prominent platform for a lot of these reviewers to get a lot of reviews on how to get that out there. And Twitch wants nothing to do with this game and the controversy that it may bring and people streaming it over. I will say, though, that um, I, I just recently watched uh, Total Biscuit's take on Hatred. He was playing through it. And uh, it's not as bad as they make it out to be. So the trailer had a lot of, like, serious shock value to it. Um, and seeing the game actually played, it's really nowhere near that bad. Like, it, it, you probably have seen worse playing GTA, honestly. Um, I, I think they were just really trying to shoot for that shock value to try to get interest in it, and it. I don't think it panned out that way. And I kind of had a feeling that would be the way it was. Yeah. I mean, even the trailer itself, if, if you looked at what was actually gameplay footage as opposed to like when they did it up close, mm -hmm. you don't see this guy doing the doing the kill shots that he was doing. It more looked like a twin stick shooter where you're killing people. It, it is. And that's really all it is. And actually, I keep going back to this, but for good reason, because it, it really feels just like a ripoff, I'll be honest. But... If if you if you're familiar with Postal at all, particularly the original one, because Postal Two was a first person game, as I recall correctly, um, the original was a like twin stick, you know, isometric top down shooting type game where you are a 
sociopathic dude in a trench coat who just walks around and guns people down. That's really all it is. And this is a dude in a trench coat who is arguably a sociopath walking around and gunning people down for no reason other than he doesn't agree with society. So it's literally the same game. The only difference is where Postal, and I don't know, this is like, what, fucking 15-year-old spoilers, uh, at the end of the game, you get locked away in a padded cell. So at least there's like some sort of like retribution, I suppose, for that, where apparently in Hatred, you don't get that, I guess... You, they just or it's really... been advertised that you're not going to get that. Right, right. Um, but why that's a O, I, I, I'm not sure. I think it was more because of the hype that got the AO rating. Yeah. Because, and because of that, now Twitch is saying that you can't stream that. You can't stream that kind of game. And I think they're more trying to avoid controversy, especially now that they've been purchased by Amazon. I think if they hadn't been purchased... Uh, I think that is what says a lot. I, I, I think if they hadn't been purchased by Amazon, you would be able to see AO games. But it, it bothers me that this comes right around the time Hate is released, but you could still stream games that are very similar in nature to it, like GTA V, like Hotline Miami, like these games that are just and that's actually violent for no reason. And that that is a comparison that's been drawn to this too. Like if you really want to play a ultra violent top down game, you're you are going to be better served by just playing Hotline Miami. I don't understand why that game didn't catch the hate it did, but you can still stream it on Twitch. That That's perfectly acceptable, but Hatred isn't because it's made by... Well, it doesn't matter who it's made by, but it's just advertised the game where you're killing people. I'm pretty sure that's all you're doing in Hotline Miami. It's just there's more to a, quote, plot, unquote, plot to, you know, to it. It's, it. it's bothersome that they're limiting what people can stream just because one game get so much controversy and they're just trying to avoid it i just i don't like the idea of not being able to like i understand that i guess they're trying to approach this as i guess somewhat of a curated service much in the way that the ios app store is i suppose but i i would much rather they i don't know age gate this and have like a separate category for like adult games or something or or whatever just outright banning the streaming of of a game like this or or any game that's rated AO granted you don't get those very often but i personally don't agree with it i think that just from i i guess a freedom of speech standpoint i would prefer that you have the ability, but maybe just provide some way to cordon that off from your, you know, more general Twitch stream populace. I think, I mean, Twitch is going to be all right, no matter what they do. I just, I mean, I, I, if they, if they, I don't care how they do that. Like their business, (laughs) like, I don't give a shit about it. It's just the fact that I think it's curious that they did this when hatred came out. That's that's the curious part about it. I mean, if they had, a, a, I mean, it even said there on there that ESRB hasn't really rated hatred yet. So as long as it's not up there, I mean, I technically think it's still stream the thing. But it's not rated because nothing says that you can't stream an unrated game because games from the NES era aren't rated, right? I mean, you're technically correct, which is the best kind of correct, but <laughs> you want you want to get around it, being that Twitch 
you know, uh, kind of owns this. Like they they have already said that you know they're gonna ban it. So if you're streaming that game, then you know presumably they're going to come and throw the ban hammer down on you. So now, like I said, I don't agree with it, but it is what it is. Now there are some people that may be needing to look for Twitch success and getting their new income off Twitch. Because Ubisoft has officially retired Frag Dolls. Yeah, so I guess they've been around for over a decade now. That's which, impressive. Which is impressive. Uh, I mean, if you're not familiar with what the Frag Dolls are, it was a group sort of sponsored by Ubisoft of all female gamers. Um, over the course of the life of the team, they've had uh, upwards of 22 different members. Uh, and uh, I guess Ubisoft is finally putting an end to it. They haven't really specified why exactly. Um, but if, but if several team members themselves just left this year. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you're familiar with them, you know that they've kind of been somewhat of an institution in the gaming scene for quite a while. So um, I'm trying to think of why would, would Ubisoft would get out of this, especially when esports are starting to pick up. It might be because the first-person gaming scene, in terms of professional gaming and esports, is is kind of on the back burner. When the biggest esports that are kind of going on and making money for people are your MOBAs and your fighting games. And if you're calling yourself the Frag Dolls, it makes it sound like it's much more oriented towards first-person shooters. Yeah, um, absolutely. Additionally, into that, if I'm someone who's going into esports I probably wouldn't be looking for the backing of a video game developer or any real developer because I'm going to do this on my own because I can make money on my own if I'm good I'm going to be able to back myself and I'm going to be able to make it through tournaments and whatnot. Uh, I, I, so I here's the interesting thing about this which I think might potentially lead to some conclusions uh, or at least speculation around why the team is going away. So, uh, former Fragdoll team captain uh, Morgan Roulette FD Romine I might be pronouncing that last name wrong but uh, she put out a, a statement on the team's official website which said uh, sad as it is to see something we've loved so much for so long reach its final days there is a sweetness in it in this simple closure. Uh, as the wide community of gamers grows up, we are beginning to learn how to incorporate this burgeoning diversity into our cultural identity. I feel like that part right there might actually lend some credence to why this happened. If I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm not saying that this is my viewpoint of it, I almost want to say that Ubisoft might have started to view this as... A gimmick? A gimmick and potentially sexist. Uh, and, look, I mean, the picture that I'm seeing here of the Frag Dolls is... I mean, it's definitely something that could be viewed as... Hey, look, girls are playing video games. They're girls. Hey, everyone, look, girls. And they're playing games. Now, having said that, the reason that I say I don't necessarily disagree, rather, the reason I don't necessarily agree that that's the reason is, uh -huh. is because while on on the surface you might say, like, okay, these are a bunch of girls dressed up as, you know, basically they sort of look like suicide girls but with clothes on, 
that it might be sexist, like on the outset. The the reality of it is, the Fragdolls had a program um, called the Cadets that they had for most of, if not the entire life of the team. To which uh, they provided, you know, mentorship and work experience in the game industry, where they uh, ended up helping over eighty different women land jobs at places like EA, Blizzard, Nintendo, Oculus, mm-hmm. things like that. So I think the team did a lot for women in the gaming industry, uh, a lot of positive things. So it's possible that the image of the frag dolls, at least on the surface, might be something that Ubisoft necessar- didn't really want anymore. Just just from the comment that she made about like, you know, the the rise of diversity and this cultural identity thing, I'm starting to wonder whether or not uh they're putting an end to this because they want to try to get away from some of the stereotypes that the gaming community has. Yeah, I mean, maybe they're they're trying to get away from being just kind of put out there as this they they want to be maybe put out there as just gamers hmm. and as a, as a gaming group as opposed to a group a girl gaming group yeah like they're being propped up just because they're girls not because they're good gamers and right. they may be viewing it that way and i think that's kind of a wise decision when they're moving forward into this is hey these 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 girls can play video games and not it shouldn't be enticing because they're girls it should be because they can play games and they're good at it and I think 11 years ago, that was, what was that, 2004? That was still yeah. That was still a time when a lot of us were like, oh, that's a girl and she plays video games? Is this real? I mean, that still happens now. It still does happen now, but less often. Yeah. So I, I think that has a big deal to do with it, too. There's less of a draw for Ubisoft to say, hey, these girls play video games. And I think a lot of the video game community is like, so what? They're either good or they're not. Where 11 years ago, that was a different, like a different discussion. I think a different discussion entirely because there was still a lot of people out there in the video game industry that thought that women really weren't into games. And there was much more of a shock to see that, oh my God, women can play video games, even though it shouldn't have been because they're there all along. But I think now that discussion has really moved away from that. I think they more saw it than Ubisoft did, and Ubisoft was like, this isn't going to work. This is a gimmick, and people aren't going to respect it if we keep this up. Yeah, I, I think they just probably want to be viewed less of a novelty and more as just a part of the community like anybody else. Um, and and staying in the same vein as competitive gaming uh, that the Frag Dolls participated in, uh, looks like there are still some more issues with Mortal Kombat X. So what's the deal with that now? I mean, we're looking at a situation where the PS3 and Xbox 360 versions still have not been released, and they're going to push back. Um, they're saying they're not going to come out until summer. As many of you know, Mortal Kombat X has not come out for these systems, and has been out for a while for the PS4 and Xbox 360 and PC for quite some time. I think you meant Xbox One. Xbox, yes, Xbox One, sorry. Yes. <laughs> but it's been out for these systems for about a month, maybe like two months almost now. It's, it's been, been out for a while. It's been a while. and in, in gaming terms. Yeah, and originally they had slated June 2nd as the release for the last-gen versions of this game, which now uh, GameStop has qu- quietly bumped to December 31st. Uh, 
you know, sometimes you just got to cut your losses. We're we're almost two years now into the current generation. The fact that PS3 yeah, it really has been that long. Yeah, it, it has three years if you want to include the Wii U. Almost three years now. The fact that we're still talking about games getting released on the 360 and the PS3 is mind blowing. That we're still talking about major releases almost two to three years after the current gen has started. I'm not really upset about the fact that there's no version of the PS3 or Xbox 360 of this game, even if I was interested in it. Yeah, we're at that weird transition point right now where a lot of developers are like, ah, you know, I really don't think that it's worthwhile to, to make a version specifically for older hardware. I mean, they've tried it. Like, for example, Shadow of Mordor did it. And I would not recommend that to anybody. The 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 okay. Let me let me qualify that. the the pre The previous gen version, I would not recommend. I would recommend the game because it's great. But don't buy it for a PS3 or an Xbox 360 simply because one of the major systems in that game that makes it what it is, um, which is the Nemesis system, that's which I will not, well the other two. which I will not get into because that's yeah. complicated. But not only does it not work necessarily as well on the previous gen, but from what I understand, I it might not actually be included at all. There's a there's some huge problems with Dragon Age Inquisition when they had it on the previous gen that were much more geared towards current gen. And look, if I'm Warner Interactive, unless you put a lot of money into getting these games off the ground, I would just cut your ties. And just say at this point, yeah, and I mean, a lot of games are doing that. I mean, The Witcher Three, you're not going to get that. Nope. Um, Project the, Cars got cut. We talked about that earlier. Yep. Uh, the new Assassin's Creed Syndicate, uh, the upcoming Mad Max Fury Road. Unity wasn't released on it either. Yeah, those are not. Those are strictly PS4 and Xbox One and and PC, of course. And we're at that point. You say we're in the transition. We should not be in a transition anymore. We're two years into a generation. It does Either seem adapt like adapt or become a retro gamer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does seem like it's taking longer than perhaps previous like generation transitions have taken. But I think that's also because the last gen consoles are just so entrenched at this point that it's really hard to get away from, especially with the big user bases that they have. But even if you are playing on current-gen consoles, fighting games are still having issues, even if it's not Mortal Kombat. Apparently, uh, Street Fighter also is having some problems. Street Fighter 4, a game that I don't even know how old is it at this point. I think it has to be. This Street Fighter 4 has to be at least seven years old by this point. I, I remember playing this in 2009. I think it had been out for a while at that point. So we're talking about a game that's almost seven years old, or near seven years old, comes out on the PlayStation 4, and it can't get right. Now, granted, this is like Ultimate, Street Fighter 4, Alpha, Bravo, Gamma, plus something. (laughs) Or uh, Ultimus, okay, it's Ultimate Street Fighter 4. I'm just exaggerating, because they have stupid names, but... Uh, it's actually Ultra. Uh, Ultra, I'm Street sorry. Not Ultimate, Ultra. Whatever yeah. the fuck they want to call this stupid game. <laughs> so this is a seven-year-old game being released on a two-year-old platform, and they can't figure out how to get this shit right. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Um, I mean, I work in a technical field, but I'm not going to pretend to know like all of the technical things that go into this. But it, it is sort of mind-boggling that uh, a game 
being put onto newer hardware has this many problems. Like, I guess, menu slowdown, um, even fundamental parts of the game, like certain moves for characters just, like, just not working. Um, or sound glitches, weird visual bugs. Uh, evidently, this particular port of the game has been having a ton of issues. Not to mention online play has been pretty much totally gimped. Yeah, I guess with... I mean, especially with a fighting game, if you've got any kind of input lag, you might as well just not play, which is what this has been experiencing. I mean, how do we get to this point now where any game that's released on a console... I mean, we've been here with PCs. We talked about this with PCs. PC gamers have known there's a patch coming right after a game's released for a while. But how have we gotten to this point on consoles that when a game is released that it's so broken you need to wait for a patch in order to get the correct version. Well, and the other thing I don't get about this, too, is I'm fairly certain that there was a PC version of this, right? Yeah, there's PC. Yeah, so if there's a PC version of this game, then you can't make the argument that, well, we originally developed this game for, you know, the, the architecture that existed on the consoles at the time, which, granted, were significantly different from your typical was x86 x86 was a power pc uh i don't remember i want to say power pc but i could be wrong but regardless like you can't use that excuse because you had a pc port of the game so there is at least one version that works mm-hmm. on x86 so I wonder how you managed to get this many problems with a game where you're releasing it on a platform like PS4 that is using the same architecture as a PC now. Like, this, ostensibly, this should be easier. You shouldn't have these kind of issues. Well, we're coming up with a lot of these things that are just happening in general. Assassin's Creed Unity was, was just a mess when it came out. How many other games, and that's the most notable one I can think of, but how many other games have come out this generation that just come out and they're just broken? Well, they just I mean, have so many as, problems. As awesome as The Witcher 3 is, that has also had its share of issues to Didn't the point have where. a game breaking save glitch? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, like, we've talked about this previously too, like Mortal Kombat X on the PC specifically, where you, there was a bug where you would end up just losing all your saves thanks to a patch. Like, I, I don't know when how you manage you. to do that. Yeah, when updates that are supposed to make a game better, like, actually end up breaking it further. It, it's just, it, it's a shame we're at this point in the game industry where you have to wait for a patch to be released in order to get a game, in order to know the game works properly. Especially a game that's approaching seven years old that you haven't figured out. And why are they even releasing this on the PS4? This is a seven-year-old game and you're still calling it Street Fighter Four. Get your act together and get Street Fighter V out. This has no business being on the PS4. It doesn't. Gotta 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 get all that cash money though. Yeah, I guess you got to. You gotta remaster everything nowadays. Why yeah, not? even games like Gears of War, which like they're calling it an HD re-release, but yeah, it was but actually HD the first fucking time around, technically speaking. Gears of War was like an almost an Xbox launch game though. A lot has changed since then. Like they, are, okay, how many versions are you Street defending that though? Like, I am defending this one. You're defending an HD remake of a fucking game that was released for the 360. So you're that's saying that's last gen? Okay, Super Mario All Stars, good or bad for the Super Nintendo? Okay, that is not a valid argument. I think it is a valid argument. No, it isn't. It's a perfectly valid argument. No, it isn't because that Super Mario All Stars not only was okay, yeah, it was a re-release. Fine, whatever, fuck you, but. 
it included it was like a compilation of a bunch of games that you might not necessarily get elsewhere and and you also got like the lost levels which we didn't have which we didn't get so in japan was it that much of a value Dude, I don't care. I don't live in Japan. But I'm... I'm <laughs> okay, fine. But if you did... Whatever. <laughs> no, the point is, is you can't... That's not a direct comparison, because that was a that was a collection of games on one cartridge that also included games that you couldn't previously get. This is literally just a re-release of the game. And sure, they might clean up the visuals somewhat or whatever, but you're talking about a last-gen game. Okay, so if the Silent Hill HD collection wasn't as botched as it was, mm-hmm. would you? Have, and didn't you get that game? I, I did. That was last gen at the time it was released. But I didn't own a PS2. Uh, oh, oh, you didn't own the yeah. previous tech. Yeah, this is a personal, personal thing. A personal thing. Yeah. So what if they didn't buy Gears of War ten years ago? Well, you know, whatever. No. Oh, oh. Listen, Chris, <laughs> just because you make a valid point. Whatever, fuck you. I'm looking forward to Gears of War HD re-release. I am not. Even I, already, I don't own an Xbox One, I will never play it. I already played it. <laughs> it was okay. That's great. Uh, where are we at? Hey, speaking of reboots. There we go. <laughs> Need for Speed is getting rebooted, much to the surprise of no one, because I think there's been 20 games made for Need for Speed since release in 1994 for the 3DO. Yes, and perhaps also not to the surprise of most people, it's going to require an internet connection to play. Ooh, online DRM. Yeah, that's fine. And this is surprising for one major reason, and that is because this is Electronic Arts. Mm. And My favorite. They apparently didn't learn from SimCity. I mean, listen, if you're expecting EA to, like, learn from their mistakes, then I have some news for you. (laughs) Well, didn't they pretty much destroy Maxis because they couldn't get it right? I mean, yeah. I mean, they dissolved Maxis because they couldn't get the online DRM right. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been so many instances over the past couple years where they've tried to implement online DRM and it just does not work. Diablo 3, SimCity 4, those are the two major ones that happened last year. And, look, online DRM, is, it's not the worst thing in the world. I understand why they do it. Uh, I understand they're trying to protect it. I understand they're trying to protect against piracy. Ironically, online DRM is the reason a lot of people do piracy. And the new need for speed requiring, requiring this, it's probably going to entice a lot of pirates to go out there and pirate this game to, to bypass the DRM. Yeah, and as much as I liked... Like, you brought up Diablo 3. As much as I like that game, I still never agreed with their decision for that. Like, their original excuse for it was the real money auction house, because they wanted to make sure that there wasn't any weird fuckery going on with that. Which, sure, okay, if there's real money involved and you kind of want to have a control on it, I get that. But then they abolished the real money auction house because surprise it was a terrible fucking idea and ruined the concept of that game like what the core of makes diablo what it is they did not however rescind on their online only requirement even when the one reason that they said that they needed it was now gone but i i digress it was it was a complete disaster when diablo 3 launched though yeah, well, yes, yeah. Complete for for several reasons. Disaster. But, yeah. Now, now the, the requirement of online DRM, 
once they get past launch, I think it'll be fine. But you're talking about a major release. Need for Speed, they seem to be pushing this pretty big because they want Need for Speed to remain within their catalog of yearly updates that they can, you know, milk for money. And not having... When it launches, this is going to be a mess because it's always been a mess. Or you'll have people not buy it because, once again, online DRM. And they'll avoid it for that reason. Well, the thing is, and it's probably not a significant enough portion of the user base for them to really give a shit, but there are still plenty of people out there that own consoles that simply do not have reliable internet connections. Or, in some cases, an internet connection at all. And so to have... And this was an argument that was made for Diablo 3 as well. You know, it's like, why should why should this be required? Like, I'm not going to be able to play this game because I can't connect to the internet. I mean, with Diablo 2, you didn't need that. You had a single-player version that you could pop in and play anywhere. I mean, that, like, for example, people made the argument about uh, flying on a plane, which mm-hmm. now is less of an issue because a lot of airlines are now offering Wi-Fi in flight. But still, at the time, you know, it was like, I could pop my D2 disc into my laptop and play Diablo on my 14-hour flight to, you know... Wherever. Bumfuck wherever. Let's use Fiji. Let's use Fiji as our running team. Yeah, sure, Fiji. Fiji. We'll bring that up again. Uh, But you couldn't do that with Diablo 3 because you didn't have internet. And the funny thing is, is even, like, on, on Twitter, you know, somebody had made a statement to the official Need for Speed, like, Twitter account, you know, not to fall into the same trap that Microsoft originally did with the Xbox One when they said it was going to require an internet connection all the time, which they backed down on. Um, and they gave a really, like, wishy-washy answer to the whole thing. They are just like, nah, man, it's cool. Like, you get some really awesome yeah, shit. Yeah, you get some nice benefits. Yeah, they got the bennies, bro. And which was really, what Microsoft said, too. Yeah, which really doesn't Xbox give you any that no concrete reason for why they need that. And we no. all know it's really just because they want tighter control, like, on the game. Yeah. The, like I said, the irony is they're doing this to prevent piracy. And the irony is is that making these decisions will make more pirates. And then, of course, we say all of that, and basically, I think that turns us into some hypocrites. form of hypocrites anyway. Hooray, Steam! Because everybody loves Steam, all hail Lord Gaben. Lord Gaben, bless his name. And uh, Gaben has inadvertently graced us. <laughs> with uh, a potentially leaked date of the Steam Summer Sale, which everybody loves and everybody's wallets categorically hates. Or uh, loves because you bought them all for the same price. That'd be fantastic. I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of wallet am cry when, yeah. when this stuff comes around. Um, yeah. But according to a leaked post, uh, this thing is supposed to start June 11th, so fairly soon, and last until the 20th. Presumably they're going to do some sort of, like, you know, gamification that they've been doing for the past few holiday sales. I don't know. Not honestly, not a whole lot to say about this one. It's it's, it's expected. It's we know it's happen. coming out. I think it'd be more surprising if it got leaked. Which games would be on sale and what the discounts would be. I will say though that over time, at least for me, it seems like the sales have been less and less awesome because people are on Steam now, and they're the you have people that are buying it as a regular thing. I think the people the mainstream has got the 
attention of Steam, or Steam has gotten the attention of the mainstream now. So when you have more people on Steam, the deals are going to be less because you have less reason to bring people into your fold. Because Steam is not the de facto way to get PC games now. So of course the sales are going to be less surprising because where else are you going to get your PC games? You're going to go to Origin? You're going to go to Uplay? I well, okay, not Uplay. I will say I still have held out on Origin, but I unfortunately got forced into Uplay thanks to Child of Light and a few other things that I bought, which is fucking weird because like I'm still playing it on Steam, but then in addition to Steam, I also have to launch Uplay to play the fucking thing. That's so, weird. Yeah, that's fun. So we're going to talk about Star Wars. Like I have mentioned in previous episodes, I don't care much for Star Wars. I'll watch it because I enjoy it. However, some people on this planet just absolutely love Star Wars. And one of the things that I can talk about, because I am into the Lord of the Ring movies, is Andy Serkis has a character in Star Wars. And much like his roles in Lord of the Rings and a few other things, uh, it appears to be a 100% CGI character. So this is not something that he is unfamiliar with. So essentially his game is going to be what? His name is going to be Captain Snoke. He is Supreme Leader Snoke. Supreme Leader Snoke. You know what that sounds like? Sounds like a, a Muppet. <laughs> uh, sure. The leader of, of Sesame Street. I mean, listen, Star Wars has never been one for like you know, the greatest naming conventions. Like, there's some weird shit. Oh, you mean like the bad guy being named Grievous? Yeah. Yeah, because that's not like... Points for know, originality. Really on the nose or anything. Listen, at the very least, someone told Lucas that the name Star Killer was a fucking terrible idea. They were like, listen, George, you're not a 13-year-old angsty child. Let's, let's change this up a little bit. Uh, his demographic that he wanted to be were, though. Starkiller, that was what? For, that was Force Unleashed, right? What? No. Starkiller? No, they brought that back for that, which oh. was whatever. That originally Skywalker, Luke's name was going to be Starkiller. Luke Starkiller. Like in the original. <laughs> what? Yes. In the original draft of Star Wars A New Hope, the Skywalker family name was going to be Starkiller. <laughs> yes. And this is... I don't want to get off on this tangent because we'll talk about this for like an hour. But that that is part of the reason why it was a really good thing that Lucas was not so far up his own ass at that point that he had some people, namely his wife at the time and some of his close friends that were involved with the project, that looked over that script and were just like, just like, George, what... What the fuck is this? What are you I, doing? I hear Starkiller. I'm imagining this guy in Tatooine with a five o'clock shadow smoking a cigarette and a scar and an eye patch down his face. Yeah, it's super deep, bro. Darth Vader, I'm coming for you. Like, Star I mean, killer. as cheesy as Star Wars can be at times, like, this is how, like, this is the, the razor's edge of how close we got <laughs> to it just being stupid as hell. But anyway, Supreme Leader Snoke... Which makes it sound like he has a trunk. I don't know. I just see someone with a trunk when I hear Snoke. Uh, but anyway. Like we, snuffle up, I guess. <laughs> we haven't got a whole lot of details. We got like one picture that was released of, of Circus in his motion capture outfit. And looking, he looks angry. He, he looks very brooding. Which, 
Um, I, I guess part of the speculation around this, based on some of the trailers that have been released uh, for the new movie, and I maybe just this photo some people have been saying it's a possibility that supreme leader snoke might actually be a dark jedi which would be kind of cool well if you call it supreme leader supreme leader hasn't really been uh tagged with being good well no the world is large so um expect supreme leader snuffleupagus to be uh, (laughs) snoke to be a bad guy I mean, I think we're all pretty clear that he's going to be a bad guy, even just based on this one photo they released. But uh, as far as what exactly he is... If he's a good guy, I call him Supreme Leader Babar. Oh, God. Well. <laughs> I've seen him with a trunk. I hear Snoke. I think this guy has, like, he has like a trunk. He's like a mastodon or something like that. I don't know. Well, French elephant cartoons aside... Uh, in, in other less ridiculous news, maybe, um, maybe Marvel has r- revealed their final six contenders for the new Spider-Man. Do you know any of these guys? I do not know a single one of them. Okay, at all. I know one of them was from a uh, was from Ender's Game. I mean, according to the article, yeah, these people have been in Ender's Game. Uh, they've been in The Impossible, which I actually I have no idea what that, what that is. is. Uh, one of them is in the upcoming movie Pixels, which we talked about. Uh, they've been a part of Boardwalk Empire, which is on my to-do list interesting. for shows to watch. But honestly, I'm really not familiar with any of these guys, I'm which may, with these works. may not be a bad thing because there have been a lot of cases where using a relatively unknown actor actually works out well. Well, well the, le- the, front runner, the front runner was... Uh, Asa Butterfield. Who I also don't know. Who was the one from Ender's Game. And it was pretty much decided that that was the guy that was going to do it. The fact that they came out with six nominations for Peter Parker uh, after that information has come, that's a little bit of the surprise here. The, the rumors where they made up their mind on this kid, Asa Butterfield. Well, that was the rumor, but according to this now, I guess Marvel has been flying these six guys out to Atlanta for screen tests. Um, which is also the same location where they are currently in production on Civil War, um, <clears throat> which makes sense considering they are intending on bringing Spider-Man into the fold uh, with the Civil War movie. Um, I know that there's been like a whole lot of like licensing fuckery with Spider-Man. So well, I mean, they finally came to their agreements. Sony and Marvel they yeah. made peace at what's going to be going on with Spider-Man. And so part of that is going to be that Spider-Man is going to be in there for Civil War, and that Marvel would have some creative uh, decision-making when it comes to Spider-Man's next movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess the intention there is that they're probably just going to end up making another trilogy. I would assume so. They're going to reboot it because they lost uh, the guy who's been doing the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Yeah, which... (sighs) Garfield or whatever his name is. Yeah, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. I... I don't know. Maybe I'm not really picky. I, I guess I know I'm not. But, like, I actually liked those. I I didn't like the second one. I liked the first one. But I thought that Andrew Garfield nailed Spider-Man. He yeah. nailed Spider-Man. Terrible Peter Parker. <laughs> well, well, okay. I mean, are you basing that off of what? Like, the, the original run Spider-Man who was just, like, the ultra nerd? No, like, I, I'm basing it off the the, the comic and well, the comic book lore. Well, 
Right, but that's what I mean. Uh, I thought you meant like the original movies. No, no, no. Like I, the like original the comic, comic run. Yeah, I'm, like I'm basically Peter Parker the comic was... books. Like Peter Parker was essentially, he was like, he was a lot like Clark Kent. Like when he wasn't a superhero, he was like the super ultra nerd. Except yeah. he was more socially awkward. Yes. I didn't see Andrew Garfield being that kind of Peter Parker. No. But when I saw wasn't. him as Spider-Man, it was like, yeah, this is Spider-Man. That's Spider-Man. That's what Spider-Man would say. That's what Spider-Man would do. Although, to be fair, I also don't feel like the, uh, what's his name? Tobey Maguire? Yes, Tobey Maguire. I, I don't think that he really necessarily fit that classic Peter Parker either. He was More better, so. He was a better Peter Parker. Right. He, he was a worse Spider-Man. He though. was, well, yes. He was closer to, I guess, what Peter Parker was than Andrew Garfield, but yeah, he was not a good Spider-Man. Yeah. Marvel right now, though, has been firing on all cylinders. They, they really haven't made any bad decisions recently. I think they've everything they've been doing since Iron Man has been a slam dunk. Uh, so whatever casting decision they made, it seems like they're being very picky about what they want and having a relatively unknown could be their benefit. I just, like, look at all the characters they picked up for all their other heroes were relatively unknown prior to being there, except for Robert Downey Jr., who is pretty much cast aside in Hollywood as being just some drug user who was out of control. I mean, he was. Well, he was. <laughs> but he managed to pull that together, and now he's, like, one of the biggest celebrities in Hollywood right now. Only and because Marvel so. took a chance on him, though. Right, and, and rightfully so, because... And that's actually one of the things I'm kind of disappointed about, is I think that um, after, I want to say, after Civil War, I don't think he's going to really be a part of it anymore. Well, they're all starting to run out of their contracts. Uh, which is going to be so weird. Like, I... We've we've gotten accustomed to these guys being these characters, and it's gonna get swapped up, and it's gonna be so weird. Like I, I'm gonna really miss Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man because I think he makes an excellent Tony Stark. I just think it'd be funny if they got rid of Samuel L. Jackson and replaced him with White Nick Fury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like, be like no one will notice at all. Who's that? That's Nick Fury. Oh yeah, how do you not know that's Nick Fury? He's been in here the entire time, dude. He's he's white. <laughs> he's he's white. That, yeah, he's always been white. No, no. Or like Chris Hemsworth being Thor. Yeah. Like, we've gotten so accustomed to that now. Like, with Spider-Man, not so much just because they've been, like, juggling actors so frequently that we haven't really settled on one. And for a while, it was kind of the same thing with the Hulk, where they couldn't really... No one really... cared when uh, Edward Norton left. No, no. And that's the point, is because, well, A, they hadn't really settled on something for ever, really. And second... Those movies weren't that great. As much as I like Edward Norton, and then there was that completely off-the-wall Ang Lee uh, Hulk movie, which nobody liked, and then... The, that was the movie that was the Ang Lee one was the one with Eric Banner. The way that they have it currently, though, um, I'm very happy with. They also, speaking of that, they, they need to do like a spin-off Hulk movie. All right, and I think that wraps it up for the news this week. So moving on to our main discussion topic. The topic du jour. Yes, E3, predictions and hopes, I guess. Well, I think we'll break it down by each thing. Uh, PC, Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo. So let's go, let's go in that order. So PC gaming. Let's start with PC gaming. Uh, Steam, Valve... Pretty much taking the bull by the horns in this discussion. What do you, as a PC gamer, know you're going to see and hope you're going to see coming out of E3? 
you know, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not entirely sure. There's only, like, a couple of things for me specifically that I have seen that I know that I want. And they're not necessarily PC exclusive. So, I don't know if you have anything in particular. I think I want to see I want to see more about the Oculus Rift. I want to know if Steam is going to be putting out Oculus Rift support and how soon they're going to be doing that, if they're going to be doing it in conjunction with the release of the Oculus Rift, or we're going to have to go buy some third-party way to do it. I've also seen some other VR sets on Kickstarter right now, like Fove, which is trying to track your eyes. Yeah, it's, it's been funded. Say, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's other things popping up, but how much is, is Steam going to support its own VR and not support Oculus or Microsoft's attempt to get into VR? Or is it going to support all of them? I think that's going to be something I hope to come out at E3 and what kind of programs Valve is going to support in terms of PC gaming. I also want to see uh, some announce. Well, PC gaming doesn't really have a platform because no one exclusively owns PC. It's just going to be what's going to come out of Valve. So Half-Life 3, probably not going to happen. But you can always say, I mean, that's a hope. <laughs> I mean, that's that's been a hope, I guess, for what? Well over a decade. Uh, 11 years now, because I think Half-Life 2 came out in 2004, so sure, like a decade. Mm-hmm. I'm still not convinced that that's actually going to happen. I mean, if you're talking about PC-exclusive stuff, I mean, Blizzard's got Overwatch coming out. That and A new IP coming out of Blizzard is always something to be uh, hopeful for. Um, they've been pushing it pretty hard, and from what I've seen so far, it seems like it it's going to do very well. Um, I feel like it's their take on TF2 to a certain extent. But you've always got the Blizzard polish that they like to put on everything, so you can at least expect that it'll be... They don't expect it to come out for some time either. No, no, no. Not when they take the when-it's-done approach, which, as we'd mentioned before, is not necessarily a problem. Um, there might be some talk of an expansion for Pillars of Eternity, which is also PC exclusive, and I have yet to get through because it is a behemoth of a game. Mm-hmm. So um, they're talking about the expansion more so, right? Yeah, which for me is whatever because I haven't even made it through the base game yet. Yeah, here's another here's another twenty hours in joy. Yeah, yeah. So that'll so let's, be something I'll probably pick up later. So let's move on to the uh, Xbox One, Microsoft. Mm. Maybe not so much Xbox. Maybe not so much Xbox One. But what are you hoping to see come out of of Microsoft to C three? What do you What do you think you're going to see? Uh, what do you think you don't want to hear? And what do you hope to come out of Microsoft's conference? Well, I mean, there's the possibility that they'll talk about Quantum Break, right? I mean, that's something that they had shown at the announcement of Xbox One. Like, Mm -hmm. that was supposed to be a release game, and uh, that still hasn't happened yet. So, I guess you could say a lot of people might be looking for that. The likelihood of it, I'm going to say probably not great, just because they've been, as far as I can tell, pretty radio silent about that thing, haven't they? For the most part. For for the most part, ever since they they shut down one of the divisions not too long ago, and uh, that was a question, I think Microsoft, one of the Microsoft game divisions that was in charge of Quantum Break, they shut that down ever since then. It's been pretty quiet, almost like Last Guardian quiet. Uh, yeah, which is another one that has a very low probability of having anything come out of E3, but, you know, hope springs mm-hmm. eternal, so there are always people that are still looking for that. Uh, as far as, like, Microsoft and Xbox, I mean, you've got Forza 6 
So, you know, racing fans out there who are not, you know, satisfied with just Project Cars and are uh, pretty much disappointed with Drive Club, which pretty much everybody is, um, you've got that potentially coming for you. And, of course, I suppose we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Halo 5. Of course. Now, what I'm looking to... I'm looking for Microsoft to do, the thing I hope to hear, is it seems to be the case this year. They need to take advantage of the fact that they have more console exclusives than the PS4. They need to attack that. And they need to explain to their base right now why is it better to get an Xbox One than a PS4. It's $50 cheaper. You can get the Halo, Halo Master Chief Collection for $50 cheaper, so it comes with the game. And I need to see that, hey, look, if you get an Xbox One, you're going to be getting all these games while Sony isn't giving you anything. That's what I think they're going to do. They're going to come out, they're going to really heavily hype up Gears of War 4, they're going to hype up Halo 5, they're going to hype up the uh, Gears of War uh, HD release, you know, you see crackdowns coming out for it, and they're going to probably... I would assume they are going to try and do what they can because I think they have. I don't think I know they have more dis- dispensable income than Sony does right now, as a whole as a company, and try to get some more timed exclusives, and try to take those away from Sony. So not only can they shut the door on Sony in terms of having more exclusives, but they can have timed exclusives that you can only get with Xbox One before it lands on the PS4. And if that's if I'm at Microsoft, that's the strategy I'm going to employ into E3. Because for those two consoles, E3 still matters. Yeah, and I think that's probably the one thing that they have to really leverage. And I suspect that they will. Um, well, so no, speaking- Man's Sky, no Man's Sky still hasn't been released for X, hasn't been announced for Xbox One. I think if Microsoft can come out and say No Man's Sky will now be coming on Xbox One, a previous PS4 and PC exclusive, that would be a huge, huge gain for Microsoft. That would definitely be a big hit to Sony. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. Um, I'm sure that there's some sort of deal there that you know probably won't uh, <clears throat> probably will prevent that. But I mean, you're talking about PC. well, yes, but. Uh, that seems like it was engineered specifically to exclude Microsoft, mostly thanks to, I'm sure Sony did some maneuvering there. But timed exclu- I think it might be timed exclusive. It's yeah. what they might be able to maneuver out of that. Speaking of like timed exclusives, you've got like Rise of the Tomb Raider, which mm-hmm. is going to be a timed exclusive for Microsoft. So yeah, you're right. Like I think that's the one thing that if they're going to really uh, drive a point home. It's going to be the things that you can only get on their platform. And you see anything that's not been announced, or you think of anything that's not been announced that might be announced here? Uh, not anything specifically. As far as I'm concerned, the things that I'm really looking forward to for the most part is, well, first of all, probably the biggest one is going to be Fallout 4 for me. Mm-hmm. I really, really want to see something about that. And the rumors and potential leaks and information and things that have been coming out in the weeks leading up to E3 heavily suggest that that is exactly what's going to happen. I believe Bethesda has like rented out like a big auditorium and stuff for some presentation that they have yet to really say what it's for. And um, I can't really think of anything else that they would be doing on that scale 
right now. That's going to be multi-plat too. I mean, I, I mean, Microsoft. I mean, is, sure, but you know, if Microsoft Smart look at the time exclusive on it. I, I hate putting it that way, but that'd be another major coup for them because Sony's just not. Sony's not just putting out anything right now. That that's really enticing anyone to buy their PS4. Granted, Microsoft isn't either. But if you own an Xbox One right now, I think you're feeling a lot more comfortable in the fact that you have things that PS4 owners aren't getting. Especially if any of these rumors regarding Silent Hill are true at all. Imagine that. Imagine they get out on the podium and, like, we have a special announcement from Hideo Kojima. And all of a sudden, kaboom, it's Silent Hills. They would take E3. They would win E3 just based off that. That, I would actually be really (laughs) impressed if that happened. That would be like a mic drop moment right there, I think. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. Is there something, like, specific that you're looking forward to? I, I, I am, for Microsoft, like I said, I'm looking for them to kind of turn the tide. Not because I necessarily want them to beat Sony, uh, but because I want I want more of a, a, a competition right now for Sony. Because mm-hmm. competition, it, it breeds better quality. Sure. It's going to get the best out of both people involved. And right now, Sony is just steamrolling everybody. I don't understand why, because they there's really nothing on the PS4 right now to justify a major purchase. Like, even as good as Bloodborne is, I don't see that as a reason to buy a PS4. I don't see anything that's on the Xbox One right now that really justifies to buy an Xbox One. But what it has to be is cumulative, and I think an Xbox One has more cumulative reasons to buy that, especially at a slower price point. And I really want Microsoft to drive that home, so it'll force Sony to think, hey, uh, maybe we need to get this Ratchet and Clank game into gear and get it out there. Or maybe we need to uh, uh, speed up our next God of War game. Or maybe we need to really hype up Persona 5. And that's what I want to see Xbox do, because right now the cars are in Xbox's favor, or Microsoft's favor, as opposed to two years ago when Sony just destroyed Microsoft off based off a lot of the things that came out, even though they're about to make the same decisions. Yeah, and well, this might just be a personal bias because like I was still looking to buy a PS4 when I actually do get around to buying the current gen console, but I'm kind of hoping that they Sony comes out with some like serious reasons for me to actually want to buy it. So we've moved on to Sony. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah we moved on to Sony. So what do you hope in Sony? What do you hope in Sony shows us? Silent Hill. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want. Just give me that. I think that the most disappointing thing is Sony's pretty much already came out and said we don't really have anything on the C3, at least for the next year. With them saying that our first party lineup is going to be sparse, they're they're saying for at least for the next year, don't expect anything. Yeah, no, I know. So, I mean, like, looking through this list of potential games here for what we're going to see at E3, like, you don't really see anything, or at least anything of note, mm-hmm. that you're going to get on a PS4 that you couldn't get, like, anywhere else, really. Which is disappointing. I mean, it would be nice if they had locked up Final Fantasy XV, but they haven't. Yeah. It would be nice if they if, if they locked up a lot of these things. Sony is as dominant as they were in the PS1 and PS2 era, but they don't have the exclusives like they did back then. Persona 5 is a great catch for Sony, but it's not something that everyone, the mainstream gamer, cares about like I do. I mean, I guess what, you've got Uncharted 4, right? Uncharted 4, that's going to be a big pull, but that, that kind of deviates from what Naughty Dog usually does. 
they came out with The Last of Us at the end of the generation and they kind of dragged it into the new one. And Naughty Dog has a history of when they cross generations coming out with a new product. They had Crash Bandicoot, dropped Crash for Jack and Daxter, dropped Jack and Daxter for Uncharted, and it looked like they are kind of moving into a new territory with uh, The Last of Us and they are going to continue to move down that way. The mm-hmm. fact they're sticking with the Uncharted franchise is surprising. So I'm looking at that as something people are going to get very excited about, but I think it's going to be something that people are going to find unusually stale once they sit down and actually play it. Yeah, that might end up being the like Assassin's Creed effect where you start getting just too many of them. They, uh, Naughty Dog's been really smart with their business model, and I think that's what... You say Assassin's Creed effect, but the thing is Uncharted is not going to have that so much because there hasn't been a yearly release. No, I, I mean, maybe not to the same degree, but once you start getting into the, you know, fourth and fifth and whatever iteration of a game, like, you, you, it's really hard not to hit that stagnation point. I mean, you could make that argument for something like Far Cry 4 as well, which, granted, was a good game uh, by all rights, but it's also not really that different from Far Cry 3. Like, it. It's it's really hard to break out of you know a a mold like that because then you run into I mean I I guess you could make that same argument for like bands for example where you establish a formula that gets you a fan base then you eventually reach a point which is okay what do we do do we continue doing what we've always done and risk being formulaic or do we try to branch out and then risk alienating our existing base. And I think that's where Nintendo, with Mario, got lucky when they released Super Mario Bros. 2 here back in the day. Mm. Because that allowed Mario to be more flexible as it went through the generations. It didn't have to be a 2D platformer. It went from being you know Mario 1 straight left to right to Mario 2 being this crazy, selectable character, pretty much a, a port from another game. And then Super Mario Bros. 3, which was so radically different than the other two, yet followed this formulaic appearance of number one, that showed Mario could do different things, especially when it went to 64. Uncharted didn't have that major diversion, and nothing, none of Naughty Dog's series have really done that. Right, and... So to, to keep going with it is, what is what's going to be different? Well, right, so that's... I think, at least with Mario, they've they kind of hit that sweet spot where they could change enough to make it fresh but keep enough of it familiar to not alienate people. Now, Uncharted, as you were saying, I don't necessarily think that they've changed enough to where they might end up hitting that point where it just becomes stagnant. Mm -hmm. And and I think when I say what I expect from Sony, like I said, not much first party, so you got to look at the third party. And every single third party out there is multi-plat. Yeah. They used to have Square Enix by the balls, and they used to just have them release everything for them. That's not the case anymore. No, because now you're going to get Kingdom Hearts 3 on both platforms. PS4 and Xbox One. You're going to get Final Fantasy XV yeah. on PS4 and Xbox One. You're, you're And Square Enix isn't as big as it used to be, but now in terms of its Japanese production. I mean, it's still big for Tomb Raider and Hitman and, and all its Western development. And Western development knows no loyalties. Right. Activision doesn't. EA doesn't. They have no loyalties. So PS4, you're going to have to come up with some major announcements. PS Now is not going to do it. 
Uh, if they, it wouldn't surprise me if they're calling Vita a legacy platform that they kind of have a follow up to that. I think that would be a huge mm. announcement. I don't see it happening, but I think it could be interesting to see they're, if they're shoving Vita off the cliff to them just completely depart the, the portable gaming market altogether is seems rather odd. So I feel like that could go one of two ways because some of the speculation around the handheld market was that there is a possibility that Microsoft might announce some sort of handheld system at E3 for the first time ever. Um, that's, I think, pretty out there as far mm-hmm. as rumors go. So it could either go that Microsoft and Sony are going to both announce new handhelds that are going to try to directly compete with Nintendo's stranglehold on that market, mm-hmm. or Microsoft is not going to touch that, which you know they haven't. Uh, Sony is going to cut their losses, and Nintendo is just going to maintain where they're at as far as handhelds. Like I'm, as much as I like my 3DS, I have to wonder how much of a market there still is for that, especially with the ubiquity of smartphones now, to where there's starting to be a lot of bleed over in those markets because, like as you were saying earlier, the 3DS is making very measured steps towards becoming more casual with free-to-play downloadable titles from the eShop, like Pokemon Pokemon Shuffle. (laughs) Downloading has 4 million downloads now. Uh, That for all intents and purposes, could just be a game that you are playing on a phone. Like, there's no reason that it has to be on a 3DS. So, like I said, I have to wonder if they think it's worth it. Like, they, I mean, a lot of developers and publishers are shifting a focus to mobile-centric titles like Konami, and I'm curious to see whether or not the major players like Sony and Microsoft are really going to bother with the cost involved in a dedicated system and with the potential failure, whereas developing an app for somebody's phone has a much smaller impact financially for them with the potential for much greater returns. And from what we've learned, it's not that hard to get things on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fuck it, we're there, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Moving from Sony on to Nintendo, um, I think Nintendo is the most intriguing. It always is. They're so intriguing because they haven't really stepped in line with everybody else. I think Microsoft, Sony, and the PC market are pretty much in the same bed. I mean, you, everything that's coming out for those, are they're, they're coming out for the other ones except for the exclusives, and Sony doesn't really have those. So what do we have in Nintendo? It's its own little world. It's his own little planet. So E3, I think E3 is going to be really interesting for Nintendo because they've already said they're not going to display Zelda. They've already said Iwata is not going to be there. They've already said they're not talking mobile. They've already said they're not talking NX. Uh, But Nintendo always drops a bomb on every E3 that people look at and be like, wow, I cannot wait for this. And so what do you think they're going to what, what do you think we're going to do what are you looking forward to and uh, positives negatives everything going to come out for Nintendo so I feel like they've already covered a lot with their Nintendo directs 
which as we said earlier i think is more of their focus now um as far as E3 goes, I mean, there's a few things that might possibly come out of it. I mean, we might be seeing uh, the new Star Fox for Wii U, which could be a big deal. That that's going to be, I think that's going to be heavily pushed at this E3 is Star Fox. Um, we'll probably see some more about the new Yoshi game, um, yeah. which I I actually am looking forward to. I, I think it looks be fun. fun. It's got a nice aesthetic too. You're really looking forward to Xenoblade Chronicles X. Yeah, see, well, that's on Wii U, so I might actually be a little more interested in that with the the Xenoblade for new 3DS, since I, you know, don't own one. Hmm. That was kind of out of my radar, but... You can get Xenoblade for the Wii and play it on your Wii U. I I could, you're right. I could do that. Drop that 60 bucks. Again, I could. (laughs) You could, you could. Whether I will is a different story. Um, I think really, apart from that, we've got what, like Shin Megami Tensei X Fire Emblem? Yeah, Fire Emblem. Which is interesting. Which looks really weird. It looks amazing to someone like me, to everybody else. I don't, I think it's going to be, the traction won't be there. Mario Maker is confirmed to be there. Yeah. And that could be a really, really interesting game. It could be Nintendo's little big planet. Really? Like, I don't... Maybe I haven't seen enough about it, but, like, to me, I... There is nothing about that ha- that has really, like, grabbed my interest. I would like it to be, like, a $30 title. I do not want to see that game be a full-fledged $60 dedicated title. I mean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that game, to me, comes across as just, like, another, like, Mario Paint. Which... I liked Mario Paint, but I don't see the draw. It's just a level editor. It's Excite Bike for this generation. It that it's going to have it's going, your mileage is going to vary depending on I think this how is, creative you are with what you want to do in terms of level editing. I, I think this might just be marketed more towards the Minecraft demographic, which I am not at all a part of. It is, but its marketer was the same demographic that got behind Little Big Planet. Now, yeah. that's one of the reasons I didn't buy Little Big Planet because I don't want to create levels. I like to play levels, and that seemed to be one of the major fa- focuses behind that. I'm, I'm pretty sure some people are gonna, out there are going to be like, "Well, you can play the levels other people played, and you don't have to create levels." I get that, but if I'm going to get a game where it's going to enable me to create levels, and that's its main focus, I'm going to create levels, and I don't like creating levels. <laughs> So I'm not going to get it. However, it could be a real cool game for Nintendo. And they're going to I know they're going to push this heavily at E3 just because that is a game that's coming out this year and it's Mario. So that's Nintendo's pretty much their protocol. That's what they're going to do. Yeah, and you're right. It, it has the potential to be really big. It just at least for me, there's no draw there. Like my my level editing days past with like the original StarCraft. <laughs> like I made a lot of custom maps for the first StarCraft and you I was helped MOBA exist. You shut your whore mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that that was really it. Like I think I messed around with the Doom uh, editor for a while too. Uh, but uh, it's just this not my thing. So personally I don't care, but it could be cool. I see Nintendo announcing F-Zero. Really? A new F-Zero game. It's been coming. It's been building. If you've been looking at how Nintendo's been doing things lately, 
I would not find it surprising. If you go back to the launch of the Wii U, Nintendo Land had an F-Zero level that was pretty prominent. Okay, well, they, the argument can be there. Well, they had a lot, a lot of things that were featured that aren't coming out. Okay, you're right. But they had Donkey Kong level, a new Donkey Kong game came out. Um, Zelda level, you know, there's a new Zelda game coming out. Metroid level, well, they're just coming off Metroid games. They haven't had F-Zero games in a while. They haven't had Metroid, they had, they had Metroid games on the Wii. They didn't have any F-Zero games on the Wii. So you might be thinking, okay, what else tells you F-Zero is coming out? Look at the new Mario Kart DLC. Mm. The new Mario Kart DLC tells me they have not forgotten about F-Zero. Uh, you had uh, Big Blue, you had what Mute City, you had uh, the Blue Falcon as a selectable vehicle. For a while on the eShop, they were pay- playing the music from Big Blue in the background that you could download. Yeah. Well, I mean, you couldn't download, but it was in the background while you were looking for things to buy. These coincidences eventually become something that is foreshadowing to me. I think the next F-Zero is going to be announced at E3. It's going to come out, and maybe not details, but they're going to say that they're working on it, much like they did with uh, Star Fox at last year's E3 when they showed everybody Zelda. I think F-Zero is going to be a thing. And as far as Zelda goes, last I heard, that was they've kind of come out and said that that's not happening this year, right? Not this year. They're not going to go further into it. I'm really disappointed about that. Something I would like to see is something like Amiibo Land. Now, mm. what 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 I see is Amiibo Land. The Skylanders with Amiibos. I mean, I, you'd think that they would, right? I mean, so far, the functional use of Amiibos is pretty scant. Like, they've just been sort of collector's There things. has to be something bigger to it. Yeah. Uh, to justify it, yes. Like... Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there would have been no reason for them to be, you know, uh, these digitally interactable items. They could have just made little collectible statues and called it a day. Which, for right now, is basically all they are. Yeah, I can see that. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. It's still sure as hell not going to make me buy them. (laughs) The only reason I think I'd be surprised if it happened is because I don't think they'd be able to do it with every amiibo. Because you'd have Pac-Man and Sonic out there. And that maybe you wouldn't, if that happened, you may not be able to use them just because of licensing agreements and whatnot. But Namco, Namco is pretty tied in with Bandai Namco. They're I mean, pretty whatever, tied into Nintendo at this point. Sonic is basically just like up to the highest bidder at this point. <laughs> Sonic's a whore for the industry. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he kind of is. So apart from like platform exclusivity, I mean, is there just any games in general that you personally are really looking forward to hearing about Persona 5 yeah I, I'm looking forward to see more of Persona 5 it's, it's been what, Persona 4 came out in 2008 as well I think it's been that long since 4 came out and they released all sorts of weird stuff like a dancing game that I don't want to I don't really care about that much mm-hmm. um, but I'm looking forward to Persona 5 I loved 4 I loved 3 one and two didn't do much for me, but I love the previous two, and they seem to be sticking with that. So I'm really hyped about Persona 5. Uh, but I do want to go back and just... We talked about E3 earlier not being as big as it was back it was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Does it... Does it? Now, it was big two years ago when Sony pretty much undressed Microsoft <laughs> and secured its successes for the PS4, because that was the watershed moment for the PS4, because they were going to do everything Microsoft was going to do, 
And then they saw the negative pub when Microsoft came out pre-E3, not taking E3 seriously as much as the gaming industry doesn't do anymore. And Sony just jumped all over them, changed the business direction, and pretty much dressed them down. Which was a very big reason why I had decided that I was going to get a PS4 as opposed to an Xbox One, just based on on that alone, really. But other than that, for the past... For, for a long while, E3 really hasn't been that big of a conference in terms of releasing new information. It's still something to talk about, but E3 just hasn't been the, the big draw that it was when you know, the PlayStation and Nintendo 64 were king, or the PS2, GameCube, and Xbox were, were around. It just hasn't been the same. No, I mean, I mean, do you, I mean, do you think that this year is really going to bring it anywhere close to its I, former glory? I, like, no, I don't. I don't, I don't I, think so. I don't, and, and I think it's actually going to be the step back to being this mundane kind of event that it was in like last year. Can you remember anything that happened at E3 last year? No, which is kind of surprising because I actually went to that E3 like Sony experience thing that they did in theaters, and I still don't really remember much. It's E3 has just become this non-event. And you're talking about Nintendo Directs. Do you think, when you ask, would Nintendo Direct replace what Nintendo does at E3? And I absolutely think at some point it will. You still can't ignore E3 because of how Sony took advantage of it in 2013. Mm-hmm. You still have to make some major announcements out there to keep yourself relevant. But Nintendo, I think, has learned that E3 isn't the same thing it was back in in the late 90s, early 2000s, when you were talking, when you made an announcement at E3, it wasn't to a bunch of investors, which it is today. It wasn't until, it wasn't like a state of your business and what your business is going to do uh, so your stock multiplies. It used to be something you're talking to the gamers and informing, hey, this is what's coming out and this is what we got for you. So Nintendo has taken the route of Nintendo Direct because I think in their view is they're still talking to gamers. Because they still are a game-only company. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also just a more cost-effective way of doing it. Like, I'm sure that the the overhead for doing some big, you know, gala event thing at E3 is astronomical. So, you know, scaling that back to something that they can just stream over the internet for, like, a half hour or whatever every so often... Um, not only probably saves them a bunch of money in the long run, but I think uh, from what I've seen, it still has the same level of impact um, because there's plenty of press coverage that these Nintendo Directs get. So it really seems like a win-win for Nintendo, and they also do them more frequently. So rather than getting you know these big announcements like maybe once a year at something like E3... You know, you get these Nintendo Directs, like, I mean, it's been, like, what, every few months, mm-hmm. so... Well, if you go back, you even remember a lot of the major announcements from Nintendo were at Space World, which they've mm-hmm. pulled themselves out of. I almost I almost feel like E3 still exists just because of its legacy. Like, it's just uh, an institution that is hard to let go of. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised it, it, It's if... like an extension of Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if... Microsoft and Sony just started taking the same tact that Nintendo has 
and just doing their own thing. I think they, they speak more to investors because they do have other avenues of revenue that they can exploit. They're, they're not just video game companies. Sony is really working its way there. Uh, yeah, but you know that's <laughs> but they're have, still not. That's what you have investors calls for, man. Like right. if you really want to go that route, like you have that too. Like as much fun, I suppose, as attending one of these big, like extravagant events is. From a practical standpoint, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't just you know take Nintendo's route and just go directly to your consumers. Yeah. It's, it's a win for everybody. We get the information we want. You get the information out there and get people hyped for significantly less investment than what you would put into some big stage production. One more thing before we wrap this up. One more hope I'm hoping to see from Nintendo. Mm. Mother 3, Virtual Console, English Translation. Mm. Will that happen? No. No. But would I like to? Yeah, of course I would. <laughs> Now, all I want to say, Fallout 4, please give that to my face. Also, I am cautiously optimistic for the new Doom game, because I'm an old man and Doom is my thing, so... Uh, oh, and Borderlands 3. I would also like that. They, yes, they, but Borderlands 3 will be there. Yeah. I, I want to I see more of that. PS4 exclusive? No. Well, <laughs> it's, a, it's a first-person shooter, so I'm going to play it on the PC. Okay. Keyboard and mouse for life, yo. Uh, absolutely. There's no other way to play those games. Well, thank you for joining us on the May 31st, Episode 3 of Retro Hanging Over Podcast. It's been fun having you here today. If you've been listening to us, thank you for sticking all the way through. Uh, we appreciate all the viewers and every single comment you could possibly provide to us. Remember, you can email us at podcast at retrohangover.com so please provide those comments we're looking forward to doing a Q&A session at the end of these videos we'd love to we want to hear what you have to say we would love to hear your opinions we love our listeners and we want to hear from you yeah and if uh, you're weird and don't write emails <laughs> you can also just contact us on our Facebook page um, facebook.com slash retrohangover I believe uh if not, you can just search for it. But uh, that is also another avenue to get in touch with us. So uh, questions, comments, anything, uh, we'd love to hear from you. But uh, until next week, we all wish you the best and happy gaming.